of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Oro Recovery, located in sunny Southern California by Malibu and somewhere in Western Los Angeles. Oro was created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission, a noble one, to treat drug addiction and alcoholism with compassion and connection rather than control. They make sure your kick is as comfortable as possible, which we know is a preferred kick, is always a comfortable kick. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Fucking equine therapy, surfing, sound bath meditation, and of course, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. Everyone that we know that has been to Oro raved about Oro. Check them out at ororecovery.com and read their reviews. Check them out, ororecovery.com. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California to get help, we cannot suggest Oro enough. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our good friends at The Phoenix. The Phoenix is just such a cool nonprofit. The Phoenix's mission is so that addicts and alcoholics in recovery can have fun and stay engaged. How do they do it? Through classes, through just a million amazing things. All you need to get into the Phoenix is 48 hours of continuous sobriety. No money, totally free. The Phoenix has more than 318,000 members across the country, each with their own story. But whether they join for weightlifting or yoga, they all share a common goal of connecting with others to find themselves help. Oh, man, there's so much fucking good shit at the Phoenix from art 
to weightlifting, rock climbing, to hikes, music, good times. Go to thephoenix.org slash dopey, thephoenix.org slash dopey. Go there, check it out, join the Phoenix, and have some fun in your recovery. Are you looking for another recovery podcast? If so, check out our friends Nat and Mike at Recovery in the Middle Ages. Check them out as they do book reviews, movie reviews, talk about 12-step. They do it all through the lens of two middle-aged suburban dads living it up in recovery. You can find them wherever you find your podcasts, recoveryinthemiddleages.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Sober Buddy. What is Sober Buddy? It's so many things. It's an app. It's a community. It's a tool in your sober toolbox. I just need to say this before I say another thing about Sober Buddy. Today is Wednesday that I'm recording this show. This morning, we had a Sober Buddy Zoom. It was so emotional and beautiful, and it was a bunch of addicts in recovery helping each other. Every 9 a.m. on Wednesday, we have a Zoom. Sober Buddy has Zooms every day. They have a social media-like platform, which is supportive and loving, and it's a, it's an active, vibrant community. Check them out at YourSoberBuddy.com or on the App Store or the Google Play Store. Again, it's YourSoberBuddy.com. Get the app. We need to talk about recovery and sobriety in the workplace. And this episode of Dopey is brought to you by our good friends at Soberlink. Soberlink is a way to provide accountability to your family and your friends who are concerned if you are drinking. They have, it's basically this little device. It's like a breathalyzer. You breathe into it and it shows your sobriety. It uses facial recognition technology. It has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used and it sends results directly to your specified contacts. There's no questioning whether or not you took the test and whether or not you altered the reporting. This is why Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring device and system is considered the gold standard. Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your career or your family. Learn more about Soberlink and get 50 bucks off the device by using the promo code www.soberlink.com dopey. Do it for the holidays. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave, and welcome to episode 444. I wonder if I should shoot video of me doing this dumb fucking opens on the show. I consider that from time to time. And I'm going to take some suggestions. The first thing I want to say is thank you for listening. If you are listening, would you consider subscribing to Dopey, whatever that means. Wherever you get your favorite uh, podcast, you subscribe to Dopey. That would be good. Tell your friends about Dopey. Join Dopey Patreon. We just did a bonus episode with Handsome Evan where he talks about getting attacked by a mental patient with a, uh, a telephone, payphone receiver. It's a crazy story. Lots of juicy tidbits 
with Handsome Evan on Patreon. Go to www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. We're going to do a bonus thing with my dad. I'm actually at my dad's house right now. We also unearthed the... this. I don't know if this is really interesting to anybody besides me, but we recently unearthed the original version of Good So Bad that we recorded probably in 1999, and I was... Definitely high, and the version is a disaster. But the interesting thing to me is that, of course, you guys know the Dopey theme song. I mean, Good So Bad is the Dopey theme song, but the other Dopey theme song is called If I'm Not Home, I'm Out Walking Around. I'm going to play it for a sec. slide it down in the mix which is a a big technical podcast move and and the interesting thing is that the same day we recorded this song we recorded the first good so bad we recorded a couple other songs but i don't know that's real dopey significance like who would have thought who would have thought on that day that all this uh groundwork for dopey was being made in 1999 I definitely would never have believed it. I do remember, though, doing that session. We recorded it in Porchester, and I wasn't shooting heroin yet. I was still sniffing it and sneaking off to the... We recorded it at John Takeif Studio, which was called Exit 6. And uh, and John, of course, has been on the show. I'm going to shut this off and make me crazy. John, of course, has been on the show several times. He does the Fat Albert song. That's John. He does the classic dopey song, Methadone, the classic unfortunate dopey song with Chris, Titty Meat. He he did a he did a, a, a couple of dopey theme songs. He was at DopeyCon. He was on the show a few times. He did the acrimonious beat. John Takeif has been a strong uh, contributor to Dopey throughout the year. So let's let's give a big shout out to John Takeif. But um I remember at his studio, I would sneak off. There was a bathroom down the hall, and I would sneak off and and snort heroin and then come back and record. I'm going to put all the songs on Patreon. Not that anybody cares, but I'm going to put all the songs on Patreon. I'm a huge fan of Dopey Reddit, so I want to give a big shout-out to uh, Cormac. Cormac's been with us forever. God bless you, Cormac. He's at DopeyCon. He's helping out. He's testing the, the tensile strength of chairs. Oh boy, we um we have a video of Joe Shrank breaking the chair at DopeyCon, and I'm I don't want to put it in Instagram Reels because I think it would hurt his feelings. I should ask him if he would mind. I'm gonna put it on Patreon. So if you want to see Joe Shrank break a chair, check him out on uh on Patreon breaking the chair in a uh, in a real style, like a minute style reel. Now on Reddit. They reported the 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 crazy dopey Reddit people 
And the dopey Reddit people are a rabid bunch, I have to say. So shout out to everybody on Reddit. It was Tascam, the great, the great dopey hater. Tascam said, let's see. He said, here we go. He said, more Long Island AA fuckos as guests. And uh, it's funny because he said that a week after I recorded today's interview with Gary, the Suffolk County crackhead. Or I was going to call it the Suffolk County crack aficionado. I think I've, I've decided Gary, the Suffolk County crack connoisseur. There's a lot of mean stuff on Reddit. And I love the mean stuff on Reddit as long as it's not going against me. Actually, can't we just get along? Can't we just be positive? I heard this guy at a meeting say the other day that all he wants to do is be more loving, which I thought was a very, very beautiful sentiment. It is the holiday season, so I think it's time to uh, bring as much love back in as possible. And again, today's guest, Gary, is a quintessential Long Islander, or as Tascam said, a Long Island fucko. But I say fucko only with love. Sweet love to Gary and all the fuckos on Long Island. I might be a Long Island fucko now. I'm not sure. If you guys think I've become a Long Island fucko, please send an email or a voicemail to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. And I need to say that this episode of Dopey is brought to you by our very good friends at Mountainside. I went to Mountainside. I had an amazing experience at Mountainside. At Mountainside, Dopey was born. I met Chris at Mountainside uh, just before I started chain-smoking Marlboro Reds. We talked recovery. We walked the labyrinth. Chris did yoga early in the morning every day. I did yoga a little bit. They played reggae music during the yoga. They have a full continuum of care, which includes detox, residential, long-term, outpatient, really good coaching programs. Check them out at mountainside.com. Call them at 1-888-833-4922. Go to mountainside.com slash dopey and see the humble beginnings of me and Chris at Mountainside. If you need a place to go and you're willing to go to Connecticut, I highly suggest going to Mountainside. Seriously, just thinking about Mountainside and Chris always makes me feel uh, a lot of feelings. A lot of feelings. Wednesday, we did uh, our Sober Buddy Zoom. I felt a lot of feelings then as well. We we were joined by Sarah Jackson, who does... Uh, she has a, a little clothing company she's like a brilliant hippie clothing designer and she does uh, a clothing company called reclaim purpose she sent in a little dopey voicemail i'm gonna play it for you she makes really cool stuff if you're a hippie out there definitely check out reclaim purpose on instagram i think she's gonna be doing a bunch of stuff with our show I, I love the, the stuff she makes, and she has a really powerful story. This story that she sent in is not particularly powerful, but it's kind of her, like, first beginner hippie dopey story. So here's Sarah. What's up, Dopey Nation? This is Sarah calling from Michigan, and I'm here to hit you with the baby dope story. Baby me in my teenage years heading um, to a fish festival and wanted to drink um, we didn't have IDs to do that. We didn't have the fake IDs to do that. So um, at a necessity, we came up with this invention to 
unstuff this big elephant that we had brought with us and we stuffed it back up with about two cases of beer and then danced that into the festival grounds. We ripped it open when we got in and we're kings for the day. But then a little while later after we drank all the beer, we're like, shit, what are we going to do tomorrow? Because we ripped the thing to shreds. Um, I'm, I don't remember how we figured that out, but I'm sure we did. And um, that's my um, dopey story for you. I know it's a it's not it's not a crazy, crazy one, but um, that's how it all starts off innocently. But, you know, finding a way to get get high, you know. So uh, stay strong, Dopey Nation, and me say toodles for Chris. Sarah sounds a little bit like a Long Island fucko, (laughs) but I I look forward to more stories from Sarah and great um, styly stuff. She makes really, if you're a hippie, you need to check out Reclaim Purpose on Instagram, or if you're just hippie curious. And it's, of course, the holiday season, so there's a lot of pressure and stress. So I want to say that this episode of Dopey is brought to you by Better Help. Are the holidays stressful for you? I'm enjoying the holidays, but there is certain stresses around family getting together, and I've really, really gotten a lot out of therapy. I've been doing therapy for a little while, and I've really enjoyed it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. In the season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast today and you get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast. Get help. Yeah, I've been really, really liking therapy. It's good. I don't want to go on and on about therapy, but I've had breakthroughs. It's made my life better. I feel, and I'm also doing more work with a sponsor, which I've really enjoyed. Um, it's helping me tighten up organizationally, which I've liked. Making amends, doing the next right thing. It's fucking incredible. I don't want to like go overboard here. Like, obviously, I have problems, lots of problems. Last night, I probably ate 12 mini chocolate chip cookies and two mini Trader Joe chocolate covered ice cream cones. And I think horrible thoughts often, but therapy's made it better. I don't want you guys to get a get a crazy idea like things are, are so good, but they're they're a little good. It's funny, like I need to like make sure that you guys don't think I'm doing well. I just got this interesting note on Instagram that I'm just going to read right now. It says, hi, I need some support in alt recovery. I've been sober and a hardcore 12-step guy since November 2004. Three years ago, after trying every medication for depression and PTSD while volunteering with wounded warriors, the guys I was helping helped me. They told me all their plant medicine stories. So after hard work and what felt like letting go of 16 years of recovery, I started using psilocybin in a therapeutic setting. And then a little bit later, I added cannabis in for, for trigger for PTSD. Since then, I went back to school, became a home building inspector, moved our whole family from Wyoming to Minnesota. My PTSD is being helped, changed my life, saved my marriage, saved my relationship with my son, but I lost everyone in the program. Everyone. Some people kind of stuck around, but the way they talked to me, it was like they were including me because 
I thought I might come back or they didn't know how to set boundaries with someone who quote unquote relapsed. It broke me to see my family heal to feel better. Like I was becoming myself again, but then to have everybody who for the past 15 years reflected on me, refused to see what was happening to me, good or bad. Moving up here to Minnesota, I thought I would interact with some people who I spent some time with up here while in the program, specifically in Al-Anon. My hope is that I could go to Al-Anon meetings and they wouldn't care and I would still be working a program that I was already working. I'm having panic attacks when I go into the rooms. I feel like I'm being dishonest. And you know that this is the kind of stuff that is harder to deal with when you have PTSD, so I'm kind of stuck. And I'm getting more and more dark about it. So I'm trying to find help. I'm looking for a community of people who may are like me, hopefully. I heard someone say something about alt-recovery on a different podcast, and then I searched out recovery, and you had a few podcasts that pop up. So hopefully you see this, and you can tell me if you know of any groups or websites or anything, because I'm having a hard time finding resources. I find that very interesting, dude. Check out Dopey Zoom. Go to Dopey Zoom. They have, I don't know, 25 a week. It's posted in... On Instagram, at the front of the Dopey Instagram, the address, just go to go to the Instagram page and go to Dopey Zoom. Also on Facebook, there's an Alt Recovery Facebook group. There's the Dopey Podcast Facebook group. There's the Dopey Nation Facebook group. And amongst all those places, you will find support. Yeah, it's fucked up. It's like, I, I, I remain abstinent because it works for me. It can't, can't work for everybody, but... It works for me. I know that if I started doing psilocybin, that I would feel very uncomfortable going to meetings. It's a very, very complicated arrangement. If you guys have any complicated arrangements like that, send in an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Or if you have a horribly funny story about heroin or crack or acid or, or ecstasy, send that in to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. If you are struggling with anything and you, you know, beyond needing therapy and you need treatment, you need to check out Diamond Recovery Group. I am super excited that Diamond Recovery Group has become a sponsor of our show. Diamond Recovery is located in Georgia and Florida and California. They help people with co-occurring mental health disorders. Their facilities are top-notch. They describe it by putting a hotel room into a hospital, which just it makes me want to go to treatment for some reason. Their hotline is 844-909-2525. They want to help you. If you're fucked, call them 844-909-2525. Thank you, Diamond Recovery. It seems like more and more to me like Dopey Nation really is this community and it really does exist because we've all been through the ringer or we know someone really close to us who has been through the ringer and I feel really good about it. I feel very close to our community. So thank you guys for, for being in it and thank you for contributing to the show. Like I got a voicemail from Dana Brown all about Duster relapsing on Duster and uh, I want to play it. So this is Dopey Nation, Hardcore Dope, fucking Dana Brown. Good morning, Dave. Dopey Nation. Uh, my name is Dana Brown, North Carolina. I just wanted to share a quick story about relapse. Um, I'm a career alcoholic and stimulant abuser. Uh, for decades, I did this. 
Um, and then I had a few years of sobriety before my relapse. And when I relapsed, it was strictly on air duster. Um, I spent about eight months escaping my life. Um, it turned me into a psychotic maniac and, uh, and then that was the only time I went to rehab. I spent uh, three different stints in rehab during this time. But anyway, here's here's one of the psychotic stories. So I was uh, in the parking lot of my therapist at the time, and, and that's where I used to choose to – I was supposed to be somewhere, um, and I would use that time to hide. Um, and I was sitting out on a side street in front of my therapist's office, um, inhaling duster, and that stuff uh, makes you hallucinate and blacks you out, carries on. I mean, you're totally disassociated from your from reality. Um, and, and basically, I hallucinated that the guy in front of me moved, and I wanted his spot so that he couldn't see me in his rearview mirror doing what I was doing, passed out or whatever. So I thought he moved. Um, so I put the car in drive, and I was going to get into his spot. And then I don't remember anything. Um, when I came to, there was smoke in the in the car, and I thought the vehicle was on fire. And um, I jumped out of the car, and I was running towards the parking deck, and I was waving my arms like a freaking crazy person, and I'm screaming, it's going to blow, it's going to blow, you know. And uh, I really thought the car was on fire and it was going to explode. And halfway to the parking deck I like come to and I turn around and the fucking guy that I thought left is standing in the street just like looking at the car and looking at me and and I'm like oh fuck and and I I just decided I said well I gotta go over there and I just walk up to him like and I put my whole thing together really really quickly and I'm like hey man I don't I don't know what happened. I must have got it stuck in drive. I'm, I don't, you know. So what? where the smoke was coming from was I had put it in drive while he was still sitting there, and I had gotten up on his bumper, and then when I passed out, my foot was on the gas, and I was spinning fucking tires, screaming tires on the street, pressed against his bumper and smoking the tire. That's where – anyway, he must have thought I was fucking nuts, and – uh, I said, hey, man, I must have got stuck in drive. I don't know what happened. And uh, and I backed off of him, and it looked like I didn't do any damage. And he was talking about his pregnant wife at home, and I gave him my information. And, and I don't even know. I, I may have hallucinated all that. I, I can't even tell you. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what happened, though. And um, I never heard from the guy again. And I got back in the car, and this is the, I mean, the craziest part of the story is, is after he left, I got back in the car, and I still had some time to myself, and I literally drove across the street to another parking lot and put it in park and sat there and, and did it as long as I could again, and I did, I did things like this for months, and I have other crazy stories, but I just wanted to share that crazy one, like, I can get addicted to anything, and, and this, that whole relapse taught me a whole lot about, about, um, addiction and my capabilities and, and how dangerous that is and how quickly I can lose everything. And uh, it was a really, really shocking part of my life. It's probably more scary than, than getting sober. Um, but, but anyway, I just thought I'd share that quick story. I love you guys so much. I had a great time at DopeyCon. Um, I'm going to bring the wife next year. Um, stay strong, Dopey Nation. Toodles for Chris. All right. 
Thank you, Dana. I love uh, psychotic duster stories. If you have a psychotic duster story that you'd like to share, send in an email or a voicemail to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. And Dana, you get socks, and Sarah gets socks too. And I'm very excited because there was such a, a, a wanting for Long Island fuckery on Dopey, and we will oblige the Dopey Reddit nation. Dopey Reddit is obliged. Tascam, much obliged. Much obliged. Here we go. Fucking um, Gary, the Suffolk County crack connoisseur. But before we get to Gary, and is Sarah a Long Island fucko? Am I a Long Island fucko? All these questions and more will be revealed as we move forward. But before we get to Gary, I need to say that this episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Discover Recovery, perhaps the greatest treatment center in the Pacific Northwest. They have two locations and a detox and a residential treatment in Washington State, the best treatment available anywhere in the area, the medical staff on site, are on site seven days a week. Physicians, they are striving to provide the best treatment possible in a region that has been historically underserved. And we know that. All those junkies out there, they need help. Go to Discover Recovery if you're in the Pacific Northwest and you need help. They have master's level therapists, SUD counselors, psychiatric services, and much, much more. And if you go to Discover Recovery, you will be treated to luxury accommodations. Our friend Chris Paulson doesn't like being Sally, but he said if you want to check out Discover Recovery, just go to the reviews and you'll see what people think of Discover Recovery or go to www.discoverrecovery.com. And now, without further ado, the Suffolk County crack connoisseur, Gary. Oh, yeah, I need to say this before we get into... uh the talk with Gary that it was Gary who suggested I watch that stupid show Yellowstone and stole at least two weeks from my life. Anyway, without further ado, the great Gary, his message is actually incredibly powerful and I think you guys will love it. And my dad will be on right after that. We are at the hallowed parking lot near the beach and I am with, one of my favorite people from the beach meeting, Gary. Welcome to the show. How are you? How's everything? And Dopey Nation, to be totally transparent, it was Gary that put me on to stupid Yellowstone. That's now, Gary, what, what do you have to say about Yellowstone? I, I, you know, I'm a little shocked that you gave up on it, but I think that I think you'll go back. Do you think I'll go back? I, I do. You think I should go back? I, I, I honestly do. I, I think it's a little bit. You know, for your intellect, it may be a little bit Hollywood, but it's right up my alley. I guess that's why it keeps me right on the uh, the edge of it. But I do love the show. I think if you give it a little bit more of a chance, I think you'll dig it. And Gary, you're one of my favorite people at the beach. I love to hear you talk. It's like a treat for me to hear what the fuck happened to you. It uh, It's my pleasure. And as I was just saying a minute ago, I said, maybe I should save this. For the podcast and i said one of the reasons that i stayed and made this my home group was when i heard you because of how real you are and i love that you know they say you know no cursing or whatever but you're always dropping the f-bomb <laughs> you're always you're always keeping it real you're, you and everybody is always on the edge of their seat 
And I know that I am, especially when you go to speak, because I know no matter what, I'm going to laugh my ass off. And we can curse, obviously, right? Please. It's encouraged. Okay, then great. So then I, I even feel more at home. So then, you know, when you do do it, and I also love to people watch, I do listen to every word you do, and I love to see the expressions <laughs> on the people's faces, because <laughs> that fucking makes me happy. You know, that, that really does. Well, I appreciate that. And the audience doesn't doesn't know. The Dopey Nation is our audience. They don't know what a what a hardcore 12-stepper I really am. Well, you you really are, though. <laughs> You know, let, I'm in it. Let, let, you know, you are. And just recently, someone shared the same thing about one of the reasons why they can't, they stay at this beach was because you spoke. But didn't they say that over the weekend? Did yeah, someone that? said that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it could be, you know, for me, it's the comedic level that, you know, for that. For that but the, just the real one of them, I should say. But the realness that comes out of you and the, and and the genuine, I just fucking love it. It's uh, it makes me feel a lot. I try to jump up every time that you speak, and you just said this to me too over the weekend. After you speak, I like to jump on your coattails because there's always something there. The crowd's warmed up, so I kind of <laughs> like to slip in there, and uh, you just bring it out of me. So it's and this weekend you said how you were waiting for me to speak. And then you asked me to come on the podcast. I said, absolutely. I mean, it's an honor to, you know, just anything with you. But for this, this is great. This is a fucking home run. So when's the first time you got high? I would say uh, I was about 12 years old. Uh, Drugs or alcohol first? At, well, maybe even a little bit earlier than that. You know, I, you know the, the, the fuzziness is... Uh, I don't have a, a crystal clear, but I would say alcohol was the first. And uh, I had a neighbor. I have, I, I grew up with my neighbors. There were three older guys. They were like three older brothers to me. One was two years older. Another one was two years older than that. And another two years older than that. And, um, you know, they introduced me to everything. Alcohol, the Beatles. Let's start there. You know, the music connection was. And then, you know, in the 80s. It was, uh, you were there. You know what the 80s were like. And, you know. Were the Beatles uh, at all, like, the Beatles were a huge part of my drug addiction in a weird way. Like. That's one of the reasons why I mentioned it. Like, like I, I came into it, like, and I was like, wait a sec, what are these guys doing? And I want to be like them kind of thing. And their music was so powerful because I'm a big music nut, as you see me out here every weekend. You know, I'm blasting everything from. You know, uh, Jackson Five to Metallica, you know, very, very, uh, very wide span of music. But, um, but Beatles at heart, I don't know. You know, I guess it was like the culture thing, and then you know the then we got into the Woodstock album, and then it just really blew up from there. But back to uh, when I started, it was definitely beer. You know, they had like keg parties back then. I remember being at a toga party at like eleven years old in that area that they had. And I was drunk, and of course, you know, that's what it was. But it quickly, you know, the three guys I'm talking about, one of them was like 10 years older than me, so or, or nine years, something like that. So they were like 18, 19, roughly. So, you know, they were smoking weed. And, you know, I immediately jumped right into trying pot. And um, from that, even at a very early age, in all honesty, by the time I was 14, 15 years old, I've tried cocaine. What was the what was the experience like? 
You're, re- you're basically I, a kid, a little yeah, kid. I remember it like yesterday. So break it down. I want to give it to you. Now, they, uh, we were there. It was always in the basement of my neighbor's house. The three brothers lived in a room down there. And I remember it like yesterday. There was this dude who sold Coke, played guitar. We were just sitting in the Beatles and everything. And it was right around Christmas time. I remember it like yesterday. And uh, they were like, yeah, well, you know, they said, you know, we're going to try. We're doing blow or whatever. I don't know exactly. You know, basically, do you want to try it? And I was like very nervous at first. And I'll never forget, you know, the first line I did. I remember this. I remember feeling completely euphoric. Now, this is like, you know, 13, 14. And I remember, you know, the numbness coming on. And I remember like, wow, this is really good. And like the fear factor was gone. And I was like, I want to do more of this. And uh, we did, you know, mixing in weed and all that stuff. And then, um, then you know, like uh, at that time, like I was always playing a lot of sports, you know, so it wasn't really like always, you know, not I didn't just dive right in where I was smoking weed every day. That quickly came afterwards. By the time I was like, I'd say like 16, I was smoking pot every day and kicked the sports to the curb. The only sport we were playing was uh, handball. And I was exceptionally good in lacrosse. And I wrestled and I played soccer. And I mean, exceptionally good in lacrosse to the point where, uh, you know, they were uh, very pissed off in school the teachers, the principal, that I didn't pursue it because I could have had a scholarship. Right, and you just fell in love with weed? Yeah. How deeply was your love affair with weed? I don't remember, like, uh, 10th grade. You know what I mean? <laughs> that I, I was so in love with pot. Yeah. Like, it was just the love of my life. I loved it. You know, I, I, I literally got stoned every single day. And especially it was, you know, before school. You know, my grades went, you know, I would just do the bare minimum. You grew up out here, right? I grew up on the North Shore in uh, Rocky Point, Sound Beach area. And were you like stoner metalhead? Were you skater? Like, what was your crew? We were uh, stoner Zeppelin guys. Nice. Because then it went from the Beatles right, right into immediately Zeppelin. Yes. And that's what we were. Stoner, stoner Zeppelin guys, handball guys. Handball guys. Big handball. Still always carried that sports thing. You know what I mean? When I was a kid, and this is just a weird thing, I grew up in Manhattan, and we played not real handball. We called it Chinese handball. You know about Chinese handball? No. You bounce it against the ground first into the ball. ball. Yes. Okay. It's real pussy handball. (laughs) that, That was our thing. And it was a bunch of nerds, and we'd play handball, like five of us in a line, and then the last person would get out. It wasn't like real handball handball. That was our nerdy Chinese handball period. Chinese handball. Okay, yeah. have to do a little research. It's that. it's not pretty. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't sound awfully... Uh, it wasn't athletic. I was just going to say athletic. It was That's fun, exactly though. We say. had so much fun. We were real nerds in Manhattan playing our little bullshit handball. But your stoner Zeppelin handball crew, what does that look like? It's... uh, We're smoking a lot of weed. We were doing a lot of... Oh, I know, too. That Then... Like, once the handball season was over, we spent a lot of time, I don't know, see, you're a city cat. We got fucked up a lot in the woods out here. That's where we spent most of our time, in the woods. 
And, you know, obviously girls started coming into the picture at that age. And, uh, you know. It's like dazed and confused. Pretty much, man. It just very, uh, very much so, you know. I was, I was always, was always gravitated to the older dudes. You know, they always were gravitated towards me. I always hung out with them. Dudes who had cars way before I did. And, you know, so, but we would always be spending a lot of time, a lot of keg parties in the woods or at the beaches. But a lot of the woods with a lot of fires and getting fucked up. Drinking was big, you know, smoking weed. Did Coke stick around or was it out? For one period of, of time after that, after going into the weed, Blow came back in in like... 11th grade, you know, came back in pretty prevalent. It got bad, you know, and then um, it was like a switch. Like my mother only had one, you know, she always realized, like, because I have a sister that was extremely smart, straight A's, who happens to be a teacher, actually a professor in college, completely the polar opposite of my grades. She partied, but quickly kicked that shit to the curb. And, uh, you know, very school-orientated college, you know, uh, the, the whole nine. And my mother's only gift was f- for me to graduate on stage on at the time I was supposed to graduate, not getting left back and everything. So I just did the bare minimum. But you, you gave your mother what she wanted. I did. I really did because I knew that I wasn't going to college. And, um, you know, so 11th grade, Coke came in and it was going. But then... You know, I saw how how it was like even my mother, who didn't want to admit it back then, she knew it. And back then, I, you know, as we both know, the progression of the diseases is I had more control over it then. So I put it away. And 12th grade came around and I had to buckle down like I had to go to night school in Brentwood to, to take a class that I failed in fucking ninth grade. I think it was biology or something. I don't even remember. And um just to graduate on time in 12th grade. So I did. I kicked the Coke away. And a big part of my life, which came in roughly at that time too, was, you know, it was the 80s, was weights. And as you know, I like to lift weights, you know. And um, so I, I switched very quickly. Always smoked weed. Was still smoking weed all the time, almost every day. But I knew that my father was getting me a job when I graduated high school in the Teamsters Union. So I knew that I had a, I had a good job lined up. But in 12th grade, it was about working out, still smoking weed, still smoking a lot of weed, girls, drinking like crazy too, you know. The two were going hand in hand. And, uh, but the alcoholism addiction pulled back a bit. It's funny, like, you did what you had to do in that moment. It's funny, like, when we get those kind of periods of grace where we're not totally ruined by our addiction. And there were some fun times. Lots of fun times. Of course. You you know that. You, you, You know, I mean, looking back at it now, as much as, you know, how dark it, where it brought me. In the beginning, you know, it's fun until it's not fun. Sure. You know. When, when, when you're, like... Senior year, you're getting your shit together. You're making sure you get out of school. When does it start to creep in that maybe you don't have a relationship with substances the way your friends do? Um, I would say that uh, knowing that I was getting that good job, you know, I, I put my focus in into working. Like I wanted a new truck and I did all of that. And 
you know, during that time between at that time, like the gym was it. But I was still smoking weed all the time, all the time. Back then, I didn't have a CDL. So I was able to be in the union and it was in the lumber business, but I worked in the yard. So I got away with not smoking weed until I got my CDL. But I was always focused on uh, working. I, I have to say that I've my work ethic has always been good, you know, and um, I was very lucky or, or blessed with, with 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 jobs in my life. Before that's before sure. we get to your working period, can you think of any ridiculously stupid high school got, stories? Got one right now. In between 11th and 12th grade, I worked during the summer as a, a roofer's helper. And I saved up to buy a truck. And uh, I did. I bought this F-150. We went out to a bar in Rocky Point that let us in. So now I'm in 11th grade. They let us in. I just put the truck on the road. It's raining. We're drinking kamikazes of all things. Me and this one kid. We left the bar. I don't know. As I remember it, a cop had passed us. And uh, I remember saying the cops are coming, the cops are coming. I stepped on it and I crashed. And uh, But I crashed really bad into a telephone pole, really, really bad. And it was pouring rain. I remember I woke up in the morning and I'm laying in bed. And I'm hearing like, you know, my mother banging the, you know, dishes and all the shit around the house. Vacuum's going. So I wake up, I'm like. Man, what a fucking bad dream. So I'm like, <laughs> I looked down and I remember it was raining that the night before. And I looked down and I'm still in my clothes and the bed's wet. So I'm like, oh. I get up and I look out to see if the truck is there. And sure as shit, it's no dream. The truck was demolished. So quickly after that, the, uh, you know, the door flies open. My mother starts screaming and, you know, this and that or whatever. I remember that was on a Saturday, so on a Sunday, you know, I'm a guinea. Obviously, I'm sure the audience can hear it in my voice, just a guinea from Long Island. And uh, I remember we were having Sunday. We had that, that, that we always have. We always had Sunday dinner with my grandparents. Sunday gravy. Which was basically 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I never really missed those. I was always there because it was just normal routine. So I remember I was outside and she was like, you know, go whatever, you know, mow the grass, whatever. Yelling at me, and I'm in the driveway. And like the night before, it's coming back to me. And I'm like, man, I think a fucking <laughs> cop brought me home. Like, I'm starting to like remember it put together. Now, this is all with transpired in 24 hours. I'm in the driveway with my grandfather, and my mother's yelling, this son of a bitch. And my grandfather was a very, you know, old school Italian. He was like, he's alive. He's not in jail. He's not in the hospital. Chill kind of thing. With that, a cop's coming down the street. My grandfather never put it, put his hands on me or anything, but he gave me one in the head. <laughs> what did you do now? I said, I didn't fucking do anything. I've been here all morning long. Yeah. What are you talking about? Turns out it's the cop that brought me home the night before in the police car. Checking on you. He gets out of the car. I'll never forget this. I said, now it hits me. Now your memory comes back. You're like, holy <laughs> fuck. <laughs> This guy brought me home, you know what I mean? So I said, listen, officer, you know, th thank you. Uh, I'll cut your grass. I'll do this. And he was like, no, 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 You listen up. He's like, I got a son your age. You get one pass. You f you fuck up again. I see you out there. I'm going to lock you up. 
you know, that's it. I don't want you to cut my grass. I don't want none of that shit. You, you fuck up again and you're going to get it. So, you know, like I said, I have an Italian mother. So uh, that passes or whatever. So I remember I had a temporary registration because I had just gotten the truck. And the fucking registration came in the mail like fucking three weeks later. Now it's things are starting to simmer down. I come home from school and the registration's laying on my pillow. That's an Italian mother thing, just to break Twist it. the knife. Oh, big time. You know, so I had the conscience, but, you know, it's uh, the drugs are so powerful, they take over. And um, that's one of many stories. Now, we did, I did leave out a fact that you know, uh, my crew was also a, a very much fighting crew. So when we would get fucked up at these parties, the crew that I ran with, these guys loved to fight. I went along for the ride. You know, I, I still hold guilt. To, uh, I still carry guilt for that to this day. And we fought a lot of fucking people, you know. And, um, we, you know, I'm not going to mention the, their names, but a couple of the ones that I was with, they were some crazy motherfuckers. Was it like gang stuff? No, we were just one of those crews that, you know, like, oh, fuck, here they come. Here they come. Here they come, you know, and what the fuck is going to happen is the beginning of the party, but you know by the end of the party. I came to drink some beers and fuck some people up and, and I'm that, all out of beers kind of thing. that's what it was, and it, was, it, was, it always wound up going that way, you know. Um, you know, when I was 18, like right after that, I was still with that crew, but breaking away because I was with girls or whatever, but... It was a really bad crew, and these guys were my friends. Really bad. And we were at a beach party, keg party, and we got into it with another crew or whatever, and this one dude got beat up, and I got arrested along with the other three, four guys for assault. Turns out one of the kids' fathers was a cop, and uh, whatever. They pressed charges. That was like the first time I got arrested. On the other crew, the guy's father was a cop. Yeah, yeah, and all of us got arrested. How crazy was your crew? Like, who were the characters in the crew? Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. One in particular, and uh, struggled with substance abuse, and right now I don't even know where he is, but I love him to death. And it was Paulie, and he was like six foot seven. Not jacked up, dude. Very lanky. <laughs> Lanky Pauly. But could fight like no one I've ever seen in my life. And he had a little lineage of evil in him. He had a brother that was in jail for murder. Well. So he was, um, he had it in him. Let's just put it to you that way. You know what I mean? And, uh, but I love him. And I still love him to this day. You know what I mean? And uh, he wound up getting bit by the heroin bug. He came from a wealthy family, too. His father was, uh, like, had money, you know. But we used to smoke weed with his father. And, you know, it was like one of those things. So he was like a crazy father, you know. But A little uh, too too out there. Oh, yeah. Paulie had too much access. Oh, yeah. We used to steal weed from him when we were young. His father sold weed is another classic. So in, like, eighth grade, there were times where I would see, like, his father sold a ton of pot. So and he used to keep it up in the loft in his house. And I remember there'd be like 20, 30 pounds of pot. So when we didn't have pot, we'd say, Paulie, go get some fucking, go steal some of the old man's pot. So each pound was broken up individually because he sold pounds. Paulie would 
stick a quarter in the middle. And what does a quarter weigh? Like three and a half grams or some shit like that? A quarter uh, of weed? It's no, a- no, no. A quarter of an actual I don't know. quarter. I'll t- I don't know. I think it's three and a half grams. So he would take them out of the pound. So every time somebody would buy a pound from him, the, the dude would come back and be like, yo, you put <laughs> a quarter in. Uh, and it was so many dudes that used to do that. And the dad was like, what's up with the fucking quarters? He knew, obviously, because he said, you fucking guys, you should steal my weed all the time and put quarters in there. So a quarter is good for an eighth of wheat. Yeah. That's amazing. At, at every time. And that, that that's what it was. And and looking back at it, every time Paulie would steal weed, it was always an eighth. You know, an eighth at a clip. <laughs> like you got a quarter. You know, and then it was right. It would cost a quarter, basically. Yeah, that's and, uh, amazing. Yeah, it was fucking crazy. So, um, you're a young adult, though. Let's let you. You got the you got the job for the Teamsters. Right. Fucking, you get your shit together a little bit. You graduate oh, yeah. on time. You're like, I'm gonna be a guy who makes money and has some fun. When does uh the shit start creeping in? This is this is the fucked up thing about this drug. During my twenties. I just poured myself into the gym. You must have been gigantic. Yeah, I just lived. And there was a running joke amongst the friends that, like, up until 30, they were like, you're still fucking going five days a week? And I'm like, yeah. And then uh, I had dated a girl who who is my ex-wife during my 20s for about nine years. So from, like, 21 to 30. So I was pretty committed. Yeah, and Coke wasn't really Coke. Maybe maybe I did Coke three, four times in those from 21 to 30. Wasn't into the Coke. I was selling weed at 27, and then I was making a lot of money. 26, I was selling a lot of weed. Still a teamster, making money, and selling a lot of weed. Who were you selling bud to at that point? Uh, I was selling... It just exploded like wildfire because I had really, really fucking killer pot from out here that I got from my uncle, who I love dearly. He was like a brother to me. Was he a grower? Nah, he's just the connect man of anything and everything. So where did they grow bud out here, beautiful bud? We used to get it from dudes who who used to bring it up from California because I used to see bales of it, uh, 50-pound bales of it. And we used to get 50 pounds at a clip. I mean, I didn't get it. I would take maybe two or three pounds, you know, the other guy would take 20, another guy would take 10, you know, and then, um, then every week I was going through about two pounds a week and I was selling it in like quarter ounces, two ounces. I was making a ton of fucking money and I wasn't even smoking. I was making well over a thousand dollars a week, well over a thousand dollars a week. And I wasn't doing Coke. I wasn't. Were you drinking a lot? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Would you say you were drinking alcoholically at that point? Uh, I would say, yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? It was definitely, it started or it come on. You know what I mean? It would be like we ate out every night, me and my girlfriend, and I would have beers after the gym. You know, we'd go out and, but, you know, money was no expense. And, and, and yeah, I would say, yeah, because then on the weekends, I was getting fucking drunk. No doubt about it. Alcohol was a big part of it. And then that brought me up to about 30 years old. Then I, I, her and I had broken up and I met another girl. And this is where my life really shit the bed. I got engaged quickly to another girl. And at that time, I was still selling weed, but it was getting to the end. Then all of a sudden, a dude I was a teamster with, he had blow all the time. And I tried it. 
and I fell in love with it. It clicked in. Oh, my God, did it click in. Now, I had all this money from selling the weed, tons of money, and I made great money. Yeah, plus the Teamster money. I was making, man, in the 90s, I was making 65, 70 grand a year as a fucking 25-year-old kid. That's a lot of money, in my opinion. You know what I mean? And uh, $1,000 a week. So Coke was so easy. You know, I just... I started snorting it, and I was with this girl, and I quickly got engaged, and um, Coke really took over me. I set a date to get married to this girl that I just, you know. Was she using, too? No, and she didn't know. How did you hide it? You know, the bathrooms, the fucking, you know, the keys, the fucking, you know, the whole nine. But it was, you know, it was a little, you know, the beginning of it was I could hide it. You know, you were just snorting a bit here and there. Yeah. You know, I could hide it, you know, and then her and I parted ways. You know, I had built a brand new home for her and I. And um, I wound up moving in the house by myself. And, you know, looking back on my addiction, I I guess that probably was like the beginning of a, a depression. Loneliness. Yes. But it was a it became a party house and it was a beautiful, stunning house that I built. And uh, the coke escalation went berserk. It was like fucking dominoes. There was this crew of Dominican dudes. You just call on the phone, and that shit was at your door in 15 fucking minutes. Out here? on In Sound Beach, where I grew up, you know, Rocky Point area. And I am not fucking kidding you like that. And it was fucking unbelievable blow at a great price. and To your door. Boom. And it was so fucking odd because I'd call and a different fucking Dominican dude would show up that I'd never seen before in my life. But he knew it was my number, whatever, in their cell phone. And I guess, I don't know, what the, looking back, I guess he had the address. Boom. It would be fucking delivered. I'm like, I never saw that fucking guy before. In, out, that easy. And who were you using with at that point? Uh, I had switched all my friends. You know, I, oh, and another part of my life is, is in my mid-20s, early 20s, I got into motorcycles, as I, you know that. I forgot that. I forgot, I forgot to bring that up. You know. I thought we were going to get there. Big, big, big part of, uh, that's my Uncle Carmine, my big part of my life. I got my first Harley when I was like 22, 23 years old. When I was, uh, maybe it was like 24, when I was just starting to sell weed, roughly in that area. I had a lot of money. I was buying motorcycles, and I got really bit by the fucking Harley bug. Really bit. And, um. You know, bike weeks, I had all that money. I wasn't doing drugs prior to that, you know, just to bring it back. No club, though. No club. No club. But there was a connection there to a 1% club, which... We'll leave it at that. Yes, it's best that I don't I, say Yes, yes. You, I think you're smart enough for that. Yes. I had some sort of family connection. To but that. explain what a 1% club is. Um, That's, uh, you know, that's the real deal. You know, you... Uh, one percent club. They live by you know it's one percent of the population of the of uh, motorcycle enthusiasts who live by their own creed and uh, it's a code and code that uh, their law is their law. You know, not the common law so, or the legal law for that matter. You know, they live by their own uh, their own code. And it seems like there's a fair amount of club people out here. Like if you drive down the highway, you're going to see somebody with a with a club patch. A, yeah, patch. Yeah, it's big on Long Island. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, they call support clubs, you know, 
But, um, you know, the big clubs are out here. Make no mistake about it. Just because it's Long Island, make no mistake about it. They're out here. So you sort of hung out on the side of it? Yeah. It intrigued me. I love the lifestyle, you know, and uh, that always was, you know, I I guess, I you know, one of my character defects was, was, you know, like I told you about my friend Paulie, all them crazy dudes. You know, I saw this riding bikes and then I saw that side of it. And I was like, you know, and uh, that's a tricky world. You don't want to say too much about that. You know what I mean? Uh, the wrong person is that. And, uh, you know, that could come back to haunt you in, in your, in your, I, I don't want anything to happen in, to you. In your years. No, we're cool. I'm very, I'm very, uh, very astute on what I'm saying. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll keep that. Uh, but it could go to your head. There's it, a lot it, of it, action. hundred fucking percent. There's, Girls, strippers, you name it. That's that ego. Any highlights you can share without revealing anything? Just details of like a night or a party without revealing any identity of club or club member? Fuck yeah. I'll give you one right out of the gate. Um, I went with a, to one of the strip clubs and uh, I was with one of the guys or whatever. And I remember a barmaid. I mean, she was like, to another one, to a dancer. Uh, you got to watch the bar for a second. She just brought me right <laughs> out the back door and uh, a blowjob right there. You know what I mean? It, like in the parking lot, not in the car, not, you know, it was just, it's like you feel like there's no stopping you. Ego, just ego, you know, which we all know fuels the drug addiction. You know what I mean? Ego and, and lust and crazy and excitement. And it's exciting. I mean, like, did you ever see her again? Yeah, I used to go see her. All right. Yeah, I did used to go there on the sneak. And, uh, you know, I was with my girlfriend at the time who, who became my wife. And I wasn't loyal, you know, keeping it honest. Fucking night. I wasn't loyal in my 20s, man. I know you're loyal now, though. 100%. And I know you look back at it and you're like, that was my life then, but that's not the life of, of this. No way, man. You know, I'm remarried and she is my friend world no i went to, i went to gary's uh anniversary and not only was she there and super emotional but his crew was there and i know one of the reasons i asked you to do it the show is because i know the shit you've been through and and i think it's important to, to paint the whole picture because where you came out was directly related to where you were yeah so then uh you know with the with the coke and then breaking up and going into that house, which was demonic, which was a brand new home. I took a step back from the Teamsters and then I was working some like Mason jobs. And, you know, basically I quit the Teamsters for a couple of years. I was doing odd jobs and I was like, ah, they're going to drug test me because at that time I had my CDL. I put the drugs first. That's why you quit. Yeah. Because you're like, I can't be in this if, if I'm using. 100%. And I need to be using. 100%. I fucking put that shit on the back burner to Coke was just fucking all about it. Didn't even smoke pot. And wasn't even getting drug tested. Had no desire to fucking smoke pot. It was all about the blow, the booze, the bars, and the bikes. And you were just snorting it at this point. Snorting it. Then, roughly around 35, 34, my ex-wife who was my girlfriend, came back, you know, knowing that I wasn't thing. So she wound up moving in that house. And, um, you know, I got two beautiful kids out of that marriage, but I never really loved her, you know, like like the way I love my wife as of today. 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, it's not about bashing her. You know what I mean? My drug addiction was so fucking through, but in reality, looking back at it, you know, of course I don't regret it because I have two beautiful children. You know, everybody, sometimes you got to go through hell to get to heaven where I'm at now. And, um, that, that was his own course. But then I wound up marrying her. Then crack came into the, to the scene. And I often hear you share when we, uh, at our, at our meeting about demonic shit. When you talk about that, what exactly are you talking about? I'm going to lead right into it now. You know, this is where the doors wide open. Soon as I started smoking it, right? Snorting it was never an option again. It just, no way. That rush of smoking crack, you you could snort 10 grams of Coke and you're not going to get nearly the rush off the first hit that you'll never get again after you start on the run. Now, crack became my go-to even before, you know, like it quickly snatched my soul. Boom. Like immediately snatched my soul. And I just was off to the fucking races, you know. And uh, it was, it was demonic, you know, it, it just, it was all about smoking crack. And I had just recently got married within a couple of years. I had my daughter and uh, I went back to the Teamsters, but I went back as a yard guy, not as a driver. So you could smoke crack. <laughs> so I could smoke crack and make less money. Yes. And, and that's what I did. Now I'm making really good money again. Just had my daughter and I'm smoking fucking crack. I'm going on vendors for days. Friday, she wasn't seeing me until Monday. No way. Leaving her. Crack was all about I was in fucking hotels. Just crack hotels or just crack houses. Just, it was all crack, crack, crack. And then, you know, in the beginning... You know, the, my, of my sobriety journey, like even then, you know, like within like a year or two of the crack run, I, I went away to rehab, you know, and it went to Pennsylvania. See, I, I was a teamster, so I had really good, uh, health, fantastic insurance and they snatched me right up. I called my union representative. They sent the fucking car out to get me, and drove me to Pennsylvania. Where'd you go, Karen? What was the spot? I don't even remember. I know it was a it was a golf it was it was on a golf course and it was like in the middle of the woods and I remember them saying, Notice there's no gates around here. And I'm like, Yeah, this is fucking you know, it was my first time at rehab. I'm thinking, yeah, well, you know, because like, there's nothing but take a look around. There's nothing but fucking mountains. You're never gonna make it out of here if you decide to go. You if know? you leave, you're never gonna make it. It it, 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 it doesn't matter. So I remember, you know, it was 21 days I did it, and uh, it didn't take, obviously. Within, like, man, I don't know. I came out and started the rooms. My friend Paulie, the crazy guy, happened to be sober at the time. He brought me to the rooms, and uh, and he was doing good. And um, I wanted what he had, and uh, I went, you know, I went with him. But then shortly after, I fell right off. And then he did too, you know. And then we used to smoke crack together. I have a weird question. Yeah. Which it's like, for some reason, I'm cued in on that word demonic. And I want to know what it means to you and why you use it. Okay, I want to tell you. You know, there were times when I was smoking crack 
that I'd be up for days and I saw the devil. I'd see people morph. I know it was hallucinations from not eating and, 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 and staying up for days, but I would see girls. I would see guys. I would see the devil in them. Right. Because it was in you too. Hundred percent. Yeah. I would see their faces morph into like a demonic creature. It's probably, you know, looking back at it, I'm sure my face was demonic. Or it was the feeling that I was feeling in myself and it was coming out on them. You know what I mean? But it's that there's a level of, uh, I don't know, like I, I, I had a guy on the show years ago and he just died. He didn't die from uh, addiction. He died of something else. And I played uh, an interview I did with him and he was a crazy crystal meth guy. And he was, he said he was basically chasing the devil. And, and there's this thing about using about, and, and I don't know, there's this whole Satanism thing where the, the idea of Satanism was to do what thou wilt, you know, whatever you wanted to the, whatever extent that you wanted to. And whenever we get to stories like this, it reminds me of that because it is demonic. It is the devil because it's the worst in us. And we see it in ourselves and we see it in the other person because we're fucking going so far away from who we actually are. Everything around me is devil. All the people I'm running with, everything I'm doing, the fucking destruction of my family, borrowing money from this one, lying right. about that, doing this, doing that, all the same fucking stories that everybody has, lying to my parents to get money, to go do drugs, going out on benders, you know, that new house I had, went into foreclosure. Crack house. Right a fucking way, you know, within a few years was in foreclosure. Wound up getting rid of it. Wound up making some fucking money on it. it Market-wise, somebody came in, bought it. I forget the what it's called when they come in and when a house is in foreclosure. Like a quick- Short sale. Short sale. Yeah, Boom. Yeah. Some builder came in and bought it on a short sale. And I wound up going away with like- I don't know, $30,000 and my credit cards had already been maxed and I fucking ripped through the $30,000. Yeah, you smoked your house. Fucking A. <laughs> totally. Totally, you know, and uh, I did. And then I wound up having to like, you know, bounce it from apartment to house. Is that all pre-Pennsylvania or is that after Pennsylvania? Oh, that's post. So what? how did it fail uh, when you're with Paulie in the rooms the first time? Oh, wait. wait. Let me, let me I'm sure it's both. No, I'm sorry. Losing the house was pre-Pennsylvania. And I'm not sick. I have allergies. No, it's all good, brother. It's all good. Excuse me. I'm if sorry. If the crack didn't kill me, no, no, I'm nothing not else I'm is going to I'm just going to make it clear. It's all good. We're all good. I would tell you. Uh, no, that was pre-Pennsylvania. Uh, then because we were renting a house. I took some of that money and we rented a house. And I realized how bad it was. And I went to my first rehab. And it, I shortly fell off right after that. Like... Uh, you know, smoking crack within a month again. Why do you think it didn't work when you went to the rooms with Polly? Um, I don't know, man. I was just so, you know, I hate to use the term weak. You think you were weak? No. You I didn't want it. I, I didn't want it. And actually, I'm going to use one that you always hear me say. The devil still had me, man. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. He fucking had me. And he wasn't letting me go. Okay, so what is Because I had no like? God in my life. Okay. I had no God in my life. I was raised a Catholic, which I'm still a Catholic. I still believe in, a, in what, I, what I believe in. And um, I had no God in my life. It was the devil. And you've heard me say this on many occasions. He fucking, 
He had he snatched my soul and he wasn't giving it back. And that fucking disgusting drug just I was all about chasing that first time that I took a hit. The first time I smoked, one of the first times I smoked crack, I remember I took a hit that my friend left some crack at that the, that house that I had. I remember like being so euphoric and passing out and like waking up like, wow, what a fucking high. Now, crack doesn't do that no. to you, okay? But in the beginning, that's how the devil got me, <laughs> that it was like, oh, I'm going to take a nap smoking crack? No, you're going to stay up for fucking four or five days and look like death, you know what I mean, uh, at the end of your run. And you never got into benzos or, or opiates or anything to come off of the crack? No. Uh, I, I would take some pills every now and then, you know, Valium, right. Xanax, yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. but uh, didn't it wasn't wasn't my uh wasn't my go to, or or the opioids, and um, it was the crack, man. You know, I was the cracker, smoking the snow cones, as I would say, <laughs> because do you, do you get the analogy there? Yes, the crack pipe, and, yes. and I remember saying that in rehab, and they're like, "What the fuck is a snow cone?" I'm like, "Just picture a snow cone, and just picture how big of." crack I was putting on the end of that stem, I'd have to smoke it directly straight up or it would fall down. That's how big like of a, a snow, it is. Like a snow like cone. Like a snow cone. Yes. You know what I mean? And uh, I could smoke fucking $1,000 in a night. No problem. Easy. You know? E- easy. Just just insanity. So, Can you think of any really horrible stories from that period? Oh, man. I'm sure every day was horrible. Yeah, me. but... um. I was I was leading up to uh, to 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 one in particular, and uh, during that time of the crack, you know, then obviously my my marriage was starting to, you know, your marriage wasn't thriving during the snow cone. No, era. it wasn't snow cone era. Put a damper <laughs> on it, you know what I mean? And uh, it was, you know, it was falling apart at a rapid pace. Like, like it had to. It, 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 I mean, how could it not? Yeah, you know. So like, I was like moving. Like I live. My parents were divorced. I went into my father's house for a little while. My ex-wife moved in with her, her, her mother. Then I would, you know, by then I was like burning the bridge with my own mother, you know, and it was really chaotic. I moved in with my sister. I was smoking crack in her house. She found the stem under the bed, kicked me out. Then I was going to live with my mother. You know, it was like one of those things. I was just, but I had, I was back in the Teamsters Union. So it was always like, you know, I was hanging on by the skin of my teeth. So one story in particular is, you know, and I always had motorcycles. So back to the motorcycle, and, and this is playing into it. Now, I was living at my mother's house, and I ru- was riding my bike. I was coming home, and I said, ah, oh, I got 60 bucks. And I was trying to, like, I was back in the gym. I was, like, you know, trying to, like. Get your shit together. Trying. You know, I, I probably went to another rehab that's not jumping out at me. And, uh. I was living in my mother's basement in my old bedroom, and I stopped in Gordon Heights. Now, this is why you brought me on the podcast. If you want to hear it, this is exactly why. Now, you know what Gordon Heights is, right? I don't. Oh, dear God. Where is it? Are you fucking kidding me, bro? Tell me. Oh, dear God. It's in Quorum. Okay. And. It's bad. It's the fucking, the Bronx of Long Island. It's its own <clears throat> entity. And it's Crackville, and it's fucking horrible, man. It's really bad. It's in Quorum, right around by Quorum, Middle Island area. 
And uh, I was stopping there to go get, ah, only a 20 <laughs> on my motorcycle. So I go in and I wound up going on a fucking bender, you know. And I'm out that night. And then uh, in the morning, I remember I was supposed to be at work. I banged in, of course, you know. And I'm sitting in the woods with some other crack people that I met or whatever. And then I, I don't know, like, you know, it was like we got money and I don't know. We were hustling, doing this, doing that. I don't really remember the specifics because all you're doing is really chasing the high. But that led into the second night. And that night, I was in the back in the woods smoking crack. And there was crack dealers everywhere. And that was the first time I robbed a drug dealer. And um, I knocked him out. And I took his shit. And I didn't leave. Like, I was still rolling around fucking Gordon Heights with my bike parked behind a fucking store. Do you remember any of it? Bits and pieces. So, like, it was, did you know the dealer? Uh, I, I, have, I had bought crack off him before, you know. Uh, did you remember making the decision that you weren't going to pay him? Yeah, because I had, like, I remember the guy, like, I don't know, we, we, I, I scraped together some money. I don't even remember how or whatever. But I remember, like, I was trying to, like, say, come on. You know, let's get this deal done with this and that or whatever. And I remember the dude was, like, stringing me along. So my anger was getting. The temper was rising. Oh, yeah. It was fucking crazy. So we, she was taking out the crack bag and he was about to break me off the little fucking probably $12 piece of shit or whatever it was. Half a hit. And uh, I remember his phone rang. His cell phone rang. And I just saw a golden opportunity. And I just, boom, I hit him. And uh, he got knocked out. <laughs> and I remember when he was laying on the floor. I remember this. This is so fucking demonic. This is so disgusting. I remember the dude on the other line like, yo, bro. Yo, yo, what's up, man? What's going on? And I fucking robbed this dude of everything, man. He had a gold fucking necklace. I took his necklace. I snatched this rock. He had a big fucking rock. He had money. I think it was like 700 bucks. I fucking took that. And I was fucking off to the races. But I'm still floating around Gordon Heights. Going to the hotel in fucking Port Jeff. Coming back. Doing this. Doing that. So it was like a... But nobody knew. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm really inconspicuous. <laughs> and uh, by that time... No, I mean, nobody knew you robbed the guy. Uh, he knew. That's for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so... On the, on that, you know, like I ripped through all of that and I was on, it was like a four day vendor. And I remember this was after the third day I went back and I went to go sell his necklace or trade it for crack. And they were like, oh, we know a dude, you know, and I'm not a racist dude, but they were all black guys. And I'm the only white guy floating around Gordon Heights. And um, they're like, oh, we got a guy that's going to come for that necklace. We got a guy. We got a guy. So I'm like, all right, man, tell him to hurry up, you know, whatever. So they're like, yeah, come back, you know. He's going to meet you over here, wherever it was. Oh, boy. Yeah. And uh, I woke up in the hospital. Do you see this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scars in, uh, in his brow. That's 250 stitches from a plastic surgery that stopped counting at 250 stitches. Right. What did they do? Okay. I woke up in the hospital, and I had a, uh, a stepbrother that was a cop. I had my wallet on me at that time. I wake up in the hospital and there's my father, 
the cop, uh, his stepson, my ex-wife outside the door with my daughter. How from, old is she? Uh, three, and my son's a baby. And, and he slams the door and he says, what the fuck are you doing in Eagle Estates, which is in Medford, which is on the other side of uh, Gordon Heights? So I wasn't in Eagle Estates. He's like, don't fucking tell me you weren't in Eagle Estates. I got a fucking call last night at 2 in the morning. And they said, who's, my name is Garrett. They, everybody calls me Gary. They said, who's Garrett? And the cop said, he said to, you know, he called my stepbrother, which I don't have a, a, a relationship with him now, whatever. And uh, he said, that's my stepbrother. Why? He said, well, he's dead. I can't wait for an ambulance. I'm taking him to the hospital. This was meet me at Brookhaven Hospital. That's where I woke up in the hospital. And they, I don't thought, know, they thought you were dead. I don't know any of this. Okay, this is what I'm. This is what he's telling me. So I'm like, there's no fucking way. I was I was in fucking Gordon Heights. I re, I remember that. So what they did was not only do I have that, they stabbed me too, and uh, I have a big uh, gash in my stomach. And um, I wake <clears throat> up in the hospital. Now my head's all bandaged up. I got this fucking ungodly pain in my stomach, and that, you know that's where the cop is, or whatever. And he's like. You know, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know, this and that. And he's like, you're a fucking embarrassment. He had, I had a PBA card on him, on me. That's where, where I was going with this. They threw it in the fucking, you know, they went through my wallet, left everything, took, I had a fucking uh, bank card. They took the bank card and um, I had an overdraft, which they wound up selling and they, whatever. But my point is, is where I went with this is, uh, you know, I'm laying in the bed and I don't know this. And he's telling me all this. And I'm like, what the fuck? And he's like, lose my number. You know what I mean? You need help. Don't ever fucking use my name. And rightfully so. I mean, let's be fucking honest. And even my father just walked away from me at that point. And then I was just sitting alone. And then my mother wound up coming in. But I was in the hospital for uh, for some time. And while I was in the hospital, they would bring in a, like a, a, a doctor. And I'm like, I was in the hospital for a few days. And I remember one would walk in. They would take the bandage off my head and... I'd, saw, I'd see a doctor go, and then they'd leave. So I'd say to the nurse, who the fuck is that? Now, this is a couple of days that I'm like this. Two plastic surgeons turned me down. Didn't want to fucking do this. Finally, they get this guy who's like an Indian guy or something. He comes from Huntington. It's like two days later, and he stitches me up. Now, while he's stitching me up, and remember this, like yesterday, I'm awake. Oh, boy. But as he's stitching me up and they had already cleaned it out or whatever, like he's dropping like bits of glass in that little metal dink. And he's saying, you learn lesson half inch, you blind, you blind. Wow. Half inch, you blind. And I'm like, he gets done with the thing. And I'm like, all right, you know, like, what's the damage? You know, like how many stitches? Like 20? He's like, 20? I stopped count at 250. What's and, matter with you? What's matter with you? You know, broken English. So I'm like, holy fuck. And a half an inch different, you would have lost your eyes. Still to this day, this is all dead. I have no feeling. Well, he did a good job, though. You look good. He did do a good job. He did a good job. He really did. I'm a handsome fuck still. That's true. You know, and uh, he, he really did do a good job. But the flip side to that is, is so now I know that I'm, I'm checking myself into rehab again. So I go into rehab. Bandaged up, scarred up to hell. Oh, yeah. And uh, did you smoke crack at all in the hospital? No. 
Nah. And did you smoke? When? So what happens then? Uh, I, I Are go, you drinking or anything? Or are you just like, fuck, I got to fucking get out of this? Uh, my mother just, you know, I stayed and I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, that's the beginning of the end. You, you know, and uh, I said, this is really, this just has has all control over me at that time. Did you say it to your mom? I'm a fucking uh, drug yeah. addict. Oh, yeah. It, it, you know, you had to confess at that hundred fucking percent. She did, but they already knew it. I was already around in rehab or whatever. But you know, I mean, looking at me, you know. So she, my mother, was always in my corner. She took me, you know. I went, I went to LICR. Yeah. And uh, shout out to LICR because even though that was, uh, you know, one of the two times that I went, but the last time I went, I'm still sober from. So shout out to LICR. So I, I had a uh, was I, that from this time. No, that was no. Okay. I had uh, gotten out, and um, by that time, I was about 38. I was getting out of the lumberyard. I had a chance to get the, the job that I have now with the town. Fantastic job. Like I said, I've always been blessed with work. I had a friend from the motorcycles who said, yo, they're hiring on the town. You got a CDL. You got two kids now, blah, blah, blah. Get your act together, you know. So I got this job. I'm like, uh, you know, not in the program, but I'm like drinking, you know, I'm running out doing crack. Trying to manage your crack smoking. Trying to try. Yeah. If you possibly can. Shortly, you know, it got got back a hold of me. I'm on the job now a couple of years. You know, I've been dodging bullets, this, that and the other thing. I go to rehab again. This time. Was there a bottom before that one? Oh, uh, no. There were so many. You know what I mean? You were just like, fucking hell. Yeah, this is fucking ridiculous. So I w- actually wound up befriending the commissioner, who I love, by the way, who lost his son to this fucking horrible disease. Our disease. Yes. And he was a fucking young kid. And I love my commissioner. Love this guy. Shout out. I called him on a crack run. Now, fast forward now. I'm in an apartment. I'm divorcing. I'm in an apartment. I'm on this job. I'm living in Oakdale. And I was in this apartment for nine years up until I met my wife. And I call him on a crack run, but I switch spots now. Instead of my MO becomes robbing drug dealers when I'm out of money. Instead of being in Gordon Heights, I'm working in CI. I switch locations. I work in CI. Let me, re- let me say that again. I work in CI. CI is basically Gordon Heights for crack over in CI. I work in CI. I'm going after work. I'm smoking crack. I'm knocking out drug dealers where I work. Are you robbing drug dealers just with your fists? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy. Because I remember, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was some that I couldn't, some I got lumped with, but I was a sneaky fuck. You know, that one, one shot, you know, that they say that, you know, you get them in the jaw on the right that's spot, it, you know, and I, I'm here to so tell you. So you're just like, I'd like uh, $12 of crack, please. And he'd look away. You find the angle and just. Bah! And I'm here to tell you that's the God's honest truth. You hit them in the jaw. It don't take much. So I'm fucking robbing these drug dealers left and right. <laughs> it's fucking just so disgusting, man. And I'm working in the fucking neighborhood where I'm robbing these drug dealers. For the town. Okay. For the town as a fucking civil servant. Yep. Okay. Now, this is so fucking disgusting. I have to back up just one little bit. You know where they stabbed me? Yes. Six months after they stabbed me, 
I went to rehab. I'm going to the rooms. Some of it's sticking. You know, it's starting to stick or whatever. I remember it started to swell up. And I'm like, what the fuck, right? So I was, I was still living in my mother's basement at the time. So I go upstairs. I go, Ma, what the fuck is this? She goes, Jesus Christ, get in the car. I was sober at the time. It just hit me. I was sober. I was six months sober. And uh, she brings me right to the hospital. We go into the hospital. The nurse looks at it. She raises my shirt. She goes, she goes out of the room. She comes back in with a wheelchair and a doctor. I'm like, whoa, what the fuck, man? Slow down. He's like, yup. Doctor looks at it. It's like, yup. It's like, let's go. I'm like, where the fuck are we going? Hold on here, man. Just fucking. He's like, you have staph infection. Oh, my God. If that goes from here to there. You're dead. You're dead. I go, slow down. I got to go to work tomorrow. He's like, you're not going to work tomorrow. going into the fucking operating room right now. So six months after that, that one still came back to bite me in the head. You would think that I would have had enough, but it didn't. Well, that's the injury that keeps on giving. So, yeah, so staph infection, thinking that, you know, it's it's not much, but, you know, it being eight inches away from your uh, your heart, they immediately brought me into the room, so they, they put me on. I stayed in the hospital for a few days, you know, double IVs, the whole nine, the whole, the whole fucking thing. And, um, you know, that one didn't get me. So now I'm, uh, I'm sober now, six months, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working for the town. And I'm saving my money, you know, to get this apartment. Well, to, to find an apartment. So I'm with the, I'm on the job, and one dude asked me to move a couch one day after work. I'm still sober, and I move it, and, and I say, wow, man, this is a cool apartment. It was a basement apartment. You know, cool for me. You know what I mean? It was old paneling that was painted, but it was in a beautiful area of Oakdale. And it was a pain in the ass getting his fucking couch down. And he's like, I'm like, if you ever leave, we had a washer and dryer. Central AC, two small windows, but it was a full-size basement apartment. I said, if you ever leave, let me know. And where were you living at the time? In my mother's basement. Oh, that's why it looked really cool. <laughs> it wasn't in your mother's basement. With no basement bathroom. Too. Right. Which she didn't want me to use the bathroom. I had a shower in the gym. I was back in the gym. Right. I was showering in the gym, brushing my teeth on the way to fucking work. It was a fucking, it was just. It was rough. It, it, was, it, was, it was rough. And no disrespect to my mother. Who the fuck wants a 240-pound dude living in their basement? At fucking 40-something years old. You know what I mean? At that time. So I moved the couch or whatever, and I said to the dude, yo, if you ever leave, let me know. Not thinking I was going to get it. So I'm living in the basement. He calls me up. I'm about six months, seven months sober. And says, yo, I'm getting married. He's a younger dude. If you want my apartment, it's for rent. I fucking shot right over there. I met the lady. She said, yup, you know, you could have the apartment. And I, and I took the apartment, and I had left. Now, I had put together, you know, at that time, I, I stayed clean. You know, I was, uh, I was driving from Oakdale to Rocky Point, where my home group was. And um, I had almost put together two years. And I was just about to celebrate two years. And I had a sponsor at the time. So, and he was a sponsor. I don't really like to bash, you know, people in the group. And I'm not really about to bash them. But... It worked for him his way. His way didn't work for me. 
He would say to me, I would say, yo, I want to go through the steps, blah, 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 blah. He would say, I'll tell you when you're ready. That's never like the move. You know, it's you like, agree with that? Well, I think if, if, if some, I, if I think you, you want have, it, go get it. If right? you can get it, you get it. That's what I'm talking about. You see, this is why I love this guy right here. Delay is, is not the greatest thing for us, not, especially no, when we want to do it. The worst, the worst. So anyway, now like a week or two before my two year celebration, I decide on the way home from a meeting. I'm going to celebrate two years. Let me go get a 20. So celebrating your sobriety with a 20 piece of crack. Yeah, that's classic. You know you're an alcoholic when you celebrate your sobriety with crack. <laughs> yeah. Let me go get a 20. So where do two I go? Two years in. Two, two weeks before two years. Gordon Heights? Nah, I, I bypassed Gordon Heights. I went back to CI. Yes. Where I work. Why wouldn't I? Yes. Fucking starts the ball rolling again. What can you remember about your mindset when you get two years? You're you're about to have two years, and you're like, I, I could smoke one more. Like, what do you think your mindset is? I got it. I can do this. Fucking two years, man. I can smoke a piece. It's, it's a twenty. What the fuck is a twenty? I used to smoke snow cones that were a hundred. Hundred percent. You know what I mean? A hundred dollar fucking snow cone. You know on. But that's also the insanity. And I think that's a very important like piece of anyone's story when they get a little piece of time and they're like, I can use a bit, you know? So what happens? Off to the fucking races. You know, I'm back in it. Now it's affecting my job that I'm on now, this fantastic job that I have. Now, my commissioner knows, okay? Everybody knows. I'm thinking I'm lying. They all know. Everybody knows, okay? There's no... I'm in CI, driving around CI during the day when I'm supposed to be at work when I banged in, smoking crack with hookers in my car, passing my coworkers in their trucks, (laughs) trying to hide with them pointing at me like this. Right, right. Isn't that Gary with that No, just, hey, Gary, like this. No, they didn't see me. Right, no. They didn't see me. No, they didn't see me. Let's go to the hotel. I think we're getting away with it. Let's go. (laughs) Fuck out of here. What a loser. You know? And uh, so, you know, I'm off to the races and I'm trying to- And they're not firing you, though. They're not firing me, but it's getting there. Right. Right? They're like, yo, get your fucking act together, this and that. Would you say the lesson for crackheads out there is get a job for the town? (laughs) Uh, I don't know, because uh, I have seen them let people go, you know. Uh, You're a very likable crackhead. Right. I, I guess I have my I have my moments. But at during that time, I had uh, befriended one of my guys on the job that this was, you know, looking back at it now. Like, I really wanted to know what the fuck my problem was. And he saw a psychiatrist who he has an addiction problem with alcohol. He's just never got sober. So he's a, he was my partner, and I love him to death. He introduces me to a therapist who happens to be hooked up with the town in the political party. And this man, and he's a drug and alcohol counselor. This man really, I love him dearly. Joe Stasi, I'm going to say his name. He went to bat for you, and he helped you. Gift from God. I'm covered in goosebumps right now. This is one of the most wonderful human beings that are on the face of the earth. This is not your type of therapist that you're sitting in therapy 
and he's telling you, he's saying, you are a fucking, you're a mess. Look at you. You're disgusting. How could you even say this? You know, giving it to me the way I needed it. Who are you? Don't tell me you don't believe in God. I bought my mother there. I said, well, I don't understand why God's doing this to me. He says, you're doing it to yourself. You're not doing, God's not doing anything to you. God's keeping you alive. At that time, I didn't think that. Now, this man saves my job on more than one occasion. Okay, I'm struggling with the with the program. He's got group therapy. I'm going there. I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out, you know. He's keeping me alive. Using a bit still? Yeah, you know. In and out. Trying to, trying to, you know, trying to keep it together. And, um, you know, so what am I, like three rehabs deep that I can remember so far, you know. And um, during that time when he's saving my job, the commissioner, I call him on a crack run. And I'm saying, I need help. And he said, I'm coming to get you. Where are you? On a Saturday. Now, I wasn't in work for like days. This is the commissioner of the town of Iceland. Takes me to fucking LaGuardia. Gets me on a plane. Takes care of everything. As I'm cracked out for days. Takes care of everything. Gets me on a plane. Ships me to Florida. I go to a to a recovery center down there. Where'd now, you go? Do you remember? I don't even remember the name of it at I, that I, time. I appreciate you not knowing. Name of any of the rehabs. I, 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 I think that's great. L-I-C-R. Okay, okay. I'm serious, I'm, Gary. I'm, I think, shouting, I out, think, I'm listen, shouting out for that one. That's how you know you're a that real drug addict. When you, <laughs> don't you, don't, remember the name. you don't know the name of the I, rehab. I don't. I don't. I, love I, don't. I love and it. I stayed to the, on that one like 50 fucking days. Right. What yeah. town in Florida? Fort Lauderdale. Okay. It'll come to me, maybe. Doesn't matter. Right. So So anyway, I'm down there, and it was... um. It wasn't the the best of facilities. I went to like a hundred, like literally twenty places in L.A. Yeah, I don't remember one name. Oh, not, so you see that? Not one. Yeah, I don't remember a place yeah. I went to, and I went to like ten places. I don't remember a place. I I, I like tried a name check. I have no fucking idea where I was. So yeah. I'm being serious. No, I have no idea. See, this is why we, this is why we're talking. This yeah. is fucking yes. great. Yeah. And uh, so I'm I'm down in Florida, and this is a sick one for you. Now. I'm fucking, I don't like the facility. And I'm like, this is not fucking LICR. There's no therapist. We're all Where's the acupuncture? We're, we're, uh, Where's the equine therapy? You, you promised me on the beach. <laughs> it was on a canal with yeah. like fucking, we lived in a house with like, I was in a house with like 10 dudes, three in a room, right. dudes brushing their teeth over the fucking, it was just, it was just mayhem. It didn't, it didn't stick. And no disrespect to the man that got me there, you know. It's, it, it, no, you're a sick fuck. I was, I was a sick <laughs> fuck, which they wound up kicking me out. Right. They had bed bugs in there. While I'm in there, they wake us up in the middle of the night one night, and they're like, "Here, wrap your bed with plastic <laughs> and a fucking and duct tape." I'm like, "What the fuck's going on?" They're like, "Just shut up and do it." <laughs> so I'm like, "It's fucking twelve, and I'm not fucking." You know what I mean? So we wake up in the morning and I look at this dude and the detox room was a, a garage that used to go. You would go in there for three days and then they, they would put send you out into the house. I look at this kid that just came in and he looked like he was shot with a shotgun. Bed bugs. Oh, yeah, yeah. From yeah. fucking head to toe. I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me, man. You know, so I'm playing the whole. My union's paying for this. Shut the fuck up. You, you know what I mean? I'm trying to 
save my job, just, you know, not, not, not ready for it. When I left, when he picked me up to bring me to LaGuardia, it was crack that I left in my truck when he picked me up. I'm going to get back to that. So I stay in this rehab for like 40, 50 days. Is the crack a piece of crack on your mind in the truck? I knew it was there the whole time. Yeah. So now I'm trying, but I'm not really trying. I'm looking to get out of there. It was during the holidays, this, that, and the other thing. And it's just fucking sick, man. You know, another outbreak of bed bugs come and I fucking lose my shit. And they're like, stay behind. They used to take you on class trips on Sunday. They were taking us to Miami Beach. And they're like, you have to stay behind today. Because I had lost my shit. Because another dude came out of the room and he was like covered in bed bugs. And uh, they fucking, these like big goons came. They put me in a van. Said, pack your shit. Drop me off at the fucking airport. With the van still running. It was in drive. They pulled up to the Fort Lauderdale <laughs> airport. Opened up the van. They didn't even say a word. They were just like, boop. Once I got out, like... Wait, what did you do to get kicked out? I though? was just a fucking nut. I was losing my mind. I was screaming at him. I was like, right. how could you? These conditions. Are, how could how you? Can, there you don't go. Don't you know who I am? What, what's the yeah, matter yeah. with you? I'm fucking. I only had 250 stitches in my brow, staph infection, six inches from my heart. But I'm not dealing with bed bugs. You're charging me right, this amount right, of money? Right, for this bullshit. Hey, asshole, I you. you got the best insurance yeah, on the yeah. planet. They're not charging you a fucking thing, you right. idiot. So. They had enough of my shit, sent me out, sent me packing. The day I got home was on a Wednesday. I'm just fucking depressed. My commission is a little upset with me. And, uh, you know, I had to go back to work the next day. And I'm fucking, I go outside and I fucking hit it. I smoked that crack. But you had made it those 50 days. You hadn't touched anything. Yeah, well, you couldn't. You were on lockdown down there. But no alcohol. Nobody smuggled anything in. Nah. One dude had something. I forget what it was. Some kid bought in some pills. I forget what the fuck it was, but I was like, I'm not fucking. I was trying to work out. I was trying to get my life back together. But but you finally, you, you succumbed to the, the, the piece that you found in your truck. Oh, yeah. So I hit it. And immediately the fucking, you know, I didn't get high. It was just just an overwhelming, I remember it like yesterday, like an overwhelming feeling of defeat. You know what I mean? I just spent 50 fucking days down there. And here I am fucking coming back, pushing the fucking, you know, just disgusting. And um, after that, my job was very much in jeopardy. You know, uh, I would be in, I would be out. I would be in, I would be out. And it went like that for like another three years. And um, part time crack smoking. kind of Yeah. And uh, not liked at work, you know, very erratic, you know, just not respected as you would, you know, assume. imagine. Sure. And then uh, finally, I had enough. I had went to that therapist, which I didn't go to for a long time, probably a year or so. I said, I need help. And he made a phone call and they said he don't get it together he's gone what do you think it was that made it like that was there a moment or you were just like fuck this shit i just said man i can't fucking live like this anymore you know what i mean it's just the same there's no lower than low you know what i mean i already had a hundred fucking lows like there's no one fucking thing it was just i i had a taste of that two years of sobriety i was very starting to get happy 
I wanted that back. Uh, I just. I, what was up with your kids at that point? It was, um, you know, my daughter started to pull away from me. And, um, but my son was, you know, I always had my son. And when I was with my son, I didn't smoke crack. I'd be drinking beers or whatever, you know. And I had my son quite a bit. And, um, you know, my mother, we, we would take the kids on the weekend. My mother's a big part of helping me out with all of that. I'd take them to my uncle's to the pool and all that shit. And uh, I spent, you know, some time, you know, had sports Sundays with my son where every sport we would play. And, you know, I would do your best. I was I was doing I was doing good. You know, I'm over the guilt of, you know, once I would drop them off, I would go get high. Right. You know, I'm, I'm over that. But, you know, I was there. I, I, I got to say, I, I, I was there. You were there as much as you could As be I could yeah. have been. Right. You know, it could have been a lot worse. You know, that being said, when I, when I was completely defeated, when I went back, like I was saying, and I said to this guy, Joe Stasi, my therapist, he made a phone call and he said, listen, man, this is your last. He walked out of the room and he came back and he said, I told you, this is the kind of therapist who speaks like this. Listen, you don't get your shit together, your job is gone. And that's the end of it. And that's what you needed to hear. You're Frankly. done. You're done. Okay? I don't give a fuck. I can't help you no more. You're. How many times are we going to do this? And I said, I got to do this, man. So I went, and I went to LICR. And, uh, of course, the last one, you know, when you, you know you're going, they didn't have a room for me, and they said they wouldn't have one for some days. So what, do you, what does a drug addict do? As many drugs as possible. I went on a run, okay? A three-day run. Where do I go? Back up to CI. What do I do? Rob drug dealers. Rob drug dealers, okay? With your fists? This last drug dealer, okay? Same kind of scenario as the one I got in there. I'll never forget this, man. I'm standing with this dude, and it's behind and I had like $17, and it was like 1.30 in the morning. This was on like the second day of the run. It was the, I think it was like the second day. It might have been a three, four-day run. Never forget, this is so fucking disgusting. <laughs> Same kind of scenario, you know, like drug dealers make you wait. So I'm getting anxious, I'm getting anxious. So I'm putting my left foot forward. Here we go. Right. And he catches it. He sees what's coming. He said, what you posturing for? Right. I said, man, just give me my fucking rock. I'm getting tired of this, man. Let's go. He goes down into the bag. Boom. Same fucking shit. I take all the shit. This is so disgusting. This time, he's out. Now he's waking up. I take his sneakers. Everything. The fuck? I have the fucking the truck out on Suffolk Avenue. I run. I'm running with sneakers, crack, a little bit of money. I'm running to the thing. I go off. I go on a fucking bender. I smoke this. I give it all the shit. I go to fucking look at the shoes. So I remember they were shiny white. Right, right, right. They were Nikes too. And I remember they were like a size 13. I'm a 10. What the fuck am I going to do with a size 13? You know what I mean? So I'm like, this is fucking crazy. So I, you know, I tried trading. I think I did trade them for crack. I don't really remember that. I don't remember. But I remember LICR calling me and I was smoking crack. And they're like, yo, we got a bed for you tomorrow. 
And I'm like, ah, I don't know. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, moment to go. I still got a lot of yeah. crack and, you know, <laughs> and, and a size pair of 13s yeah, 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 yeah. and, and you know, some money left. So I go on my fucking, I go and fucking, you know, I run through that shit. And I'm waiting for the, for the LICR bus. And I'm like, I'm finishing up. And a dude I know, my neighbor, like not, like my neighbors didn't know what I was doing. Crack dealers pulling up you know, in the middle of the night in Oakdale and whatever. And uh, I see him out there, and it was September 25th, five years ago. No, September 24th, because the following day is my sober day. So I said, yo, Jerry, I'm, he's like, what's up, bro? No work again today? I go, nah, man, I'm waiting for the rehab bus. So I'm like, yo, man, he smoked weed. I'm like, Go get me one of those fucking, he sold weed. I go, go get me one of those fucking medical marijuana joints. Now I'm not a weed guy anymore, right? So he comes out and he hands me a roach. I go, what the fuck is this? I go, bro, I've just been smoking crack for three days. I go, you think this is going to fucking do anything to me? I go, go get me one of those things you showed me. It looked like a cone. You ever see one of those? Sure, of course. Okay, so he goes, he goes, okay. Okay, big fella. Goes and gets one. <laughs> And this is going to be the end of uh, uh, where my sobriety began. And this is a way to go out. And this is a good way to end it. So he goes, he gives me the, the joint. So I'm calling the rehab place. And they're like, he's in Queens picking up, you know, because now they know they got you on the hook. So they know the game. You know, like people dip out, right. you, know, they, they, you know, while we got him. He's 40 minutes out. He's this, he's that or whatever. You know, at that time, I think it was an hour and a half out. So I'm like, all right. So I hit this joint. I'm like, ah, this fucking thing. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go down and I'm going to go get a beer. So I go down to the gas station. I drive down to the gas station. I'm in this truck. I drive down to the gas station and I see Twisted Tees. You ever see those? Sure. Okay. So I'm like, what's the fucking... So it's, it was warm out those days. I go, let me see what the big craze is about these motherfuckers. So I buy three of them, tall boys. Yeah. Crack. Boom. Suck it down. Crack. Boom, suck the second one down, start hitting the joint. I'm like, these things are fake. <laughs> right? I'm like, this is iced tea. There's no booze in this. No fucking way. Boom, three. I hit the joint again a little bit. Call the rehab place. Where is he at? He's in Nassau. Just stay where you Getting are, closer. please. <laughs> Getting closer, right? Getting closer. So I'm like, all right, I got time. I zip down again. I get three more. Oh, boy. Oh, no, it gets even better. So now all of a sudden I'm like, maybe these things are real. I'm starting to feel like calming down, the fucking joints kicking in, whatever. So I suck down those three. So I call up, they're like, yo, now I remember. They're like, he's 40 minutes out. Please stay where you are. He's he's going, he's coming to you. He's from, coming from Queens. So I'm like, I got time, like an addict. Let me go down. I get three more. So nine twisted teeth. Okay. I'm six deep. I go back. I drink one. Starting to come on. I'm like, wow, these things really do have alcohol in them. I hit the joint. I go to the eighth one. That's it. Tap out. I'm smoking the joint. The rehab bus pulls up. Okay. Empty out the half of the eighth. Empty out the ninth. I said, let's go. So I'm sitting in the front seat with the dude. And the chick's in the back. And she's got a... Big jug of vodka, <laughs> and there's Xanax all over the floor. 
all over the floor. So I'm not the only... You've been to rehab. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. Yeah. You, you, you last licks. Yeah, I get Yo, it. last licks. I've never heard that term. It's so fucking sick. But true. But she's like, she's waking up. She's grabbing Xanax off the floor. She's chugging vodka. There's a big plastic bottle. I remember it. She's waking up. and she's, So the dude's looking at me, right? And, you know, 90% of the people that work in rehabs are addicts. So he's... I see him like I'm in the front seat and I'm in the rehab van and he's like looking at me. I'm sitting there, so he's like, You all right? I'm like, yeah, actually I'm pretty fucking good, you know? And he's like, well, You're like, I should have been smoking weed this whole time. He goes, he goes, if you don't mind me asking, what's your poison? I said, I'm a crackhead. So he goes, Now, really, what you I go, I just did like a three, four day bender. And he's like, you look pretty fucking good for a three, four-day bender. I go, well, I just smoked this medical marijuana. <laughs> he goes, oh, I smell that. He goes, I smell that. So I'm like, well, I'm not, and I go, and I go, I don't know, bro. I go, did you see those? And I go, and I thought those twisted teas were fake, but apparently they're not. So now for like three, four days, I didn't eat. I was I'm on a crack bender. Now I'm starting to get fucking, I'm hungry as a motherfucker. They take me to rehab. And like they're taking my vitals, you know, they got to take you and then you got to go into the room, the, the detox room for five days. And I'm, I remember being in there and the girls are taking it. And this poor girl that was in the back, she never made it in to the detox room. They, an ambulance showed up. She died? No. Thank God. By the grace of God. An ambulance showed up and took her right to the hospital. It was Southampton Hospital because LICR is in Hampton Base. She just went too deep with the vodka she and the too, It was too much. They couldn't, they couldn't, it was beyond their capabilities of doing it. I assume they pumped her stomach and everything else, you know. So, so I go in and the girls, you know, this panic is going on. The ambulance is pulling up. I'm in there, the girl's taking my blood pressure. And she's like, you're like 120 over 72. She's like, what are you, what are you here for too? And I'm like, we're going to go through this all day. I'm a crackhead and I'm fucking starving Please, I know they have a great kitchen here. Could you please let me in? I know they have cereal. You are starving to death. In, in days. She's like, all right, let me just go through your vitals. We're not supposed to. Do you got to see the doctor. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, whatever. So long story short, they wound up, you know, I said, listen, I'm a repeat offender here. I've been down there. I know the yogurt's on the other side of this fucking wall. And it was that good. Uh, Ecos. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The real the good, good Greek, The Greek shit. The good ones. Yeah. And, um. Their food was fantastic. Shout out to LICR. Food, phenomenal. And uh, better than the bed bug place in Florida. No comparison. You had to cook your own food in Florida. Over here, it was fucking five star. I, not even bad for a vacation if you want to get away, minus the drugs. If you're looking to relapse, you suggest LICR. 100%. Okay. Shout out to LICR. So I go in and um, they're waking me up every four hours to give me a Valium. They do let me eat. They said, listen, we're not supposed to, but we could see your vitals are, are decent. Now, mind you, I just did a four-day bender. And so I guess the twisted tees and the fucking and the medical cone got me to where they would, They allowed me to eat cereal and, and Ecos. Perfect balance. Per perfect balance. <laughs> Shout out to the, to the cone and the fucking yeah. and to the twisted tea. And then they gave me, um, so they let me in and they eat. So they're waking me up every four hours. Now I'm in the 
for the first, I believe it's five days, I think they can keep you in that um, the detox room. But for two days, I'm sleeping straight because they're waking me up every four hours. Give you some, some value. Value. So finally, they're like, oh, you got to get up and go to the thing. I'm like, stop giving me the fucking value. I'm just going to go right back to sleep. So I had to sign a release and all this other bullshit. And I was ready to go. So I dove in. I wanted it. I was there for business. I wanted the sobriety. I had to taste the sobriety. I've been to LICR. I knew what the, their format was. And um, I dove right in. For lack of a better term, I was a, a star student, so to speak. Well, you wanted it. You, you were know, ready to do whatever it took. You know, and um, they liked it. And they, I forget the term that they pick, but they pick like two or three people to be the president, the vice president and all the shit. And they wanted me to be it. And I was like, ah, I don't know if I'm ready for that. But I wound up doing it because you don't say no to AA. And uh, I did my 21. And during that, that was the, my last thing I'm at. So now on the 22nd day when I'm let out, I got to go back to work. Now remind you, back it up to... Remember the dude, the last yeah, one, what size, you posturing size for? Size 13 shoe. Okay. Yes. I get back to work. They say, get in the truck and get the fuck out of here. You know, they hate me again. Naturally. I leave. I don't know why. I drive up to where that was going. Up Carlton Avenue. To Suffolk Avenue. There's railroad tracks right there. You cross over the railroad tracks, there's a light that's right there on the walkway. A red light. There's only room for one vehicle. I'm in front of a walkway. He's there. Who the fuck walks? This is a Pulp Fiction moment. Walks in front of the fucking truck at the red light. That fucking dude. I will never forget this. I fucking scooch down <laughs> like this. Like, oh my God, if this dude sees me, I am fucking. Nowhere to go because now you got the, the tracks behind you. Where, where are you going? I fucking call up my uncle. I tell him. He goes, if that ain't a sign for God, from God, I don't know what else is. He did laugh. I have to say, he did laugh. He said, don't stop and talk. Hope you didn't stop to talk to him. I go, no, I didn't. Did you ever see him again? Um, <clears throat> I stay away from up there. You know what I mean? I never saw that dude. There's so many of them up there. When I drive past now, I just don't look. You know what I mean? To me, it's like, you know, I'm not, I don't want to see him. You know, and you're five years into this thing. What's different? Oh, I get out of rehab. I'm back at that place. The one dude on the one side of the house, the one who gave me the medical medical marijuana joint. On the other side, there's a guy that's in this program that you might know. His name is Lonnie. Shout out to Lonnie. I don't know if you know him. I might. Very big part of this program. I get out. I go right to him. At that time, he had like 10 years in. I said... I said, yo, can you be my sponsor? He goes, nah, man, we're too close, but I got a guy. So he goes, you know, you ride our bikes, blah, 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 blah. He's like, I got the guy for you. So he gives me this guy's name. So I'm fresh out of rehab, and I call this guy up, Joe Tree. Shout out to Joe Tree in the program for a lot of years. So I call him up. I said, hey, how you doing, Joe? My name is Gary. I hear you're a knock-around guy like me. You lift weights. You ride Harleys. He goes, he talks like this. He goes, What's your name? <laughs> I go, my name is Gary. I got your number from Lonnie. He goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. When you lose that knock around shit, maybe give me a call. Click. So I immediately call up Lonnie. 
what the fuck kind of guy are you giving me? He dies laughing. Right. The exact guy you fucking need. Right. Click. Because he knew your shit. Click. I'm like, fuck this, man. Like, I'm hitting meetings, like, savior meetings. So I'm like, all right, swallow my pride, I call the dude up. He answers the phone, and he says, I go, yeah, how you doing, Joe? My name is Gary. Uh, I called you the other day. I'm Lonnie's friend. He goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> the knock-around guy, right? Tough guy. I'm like, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. He goes, uh, I'll meet you, and we'll see. You know, we'll talk. Meet me here. And I never seen this guy. I don't know who he is. I never met him. It's like an interview. He goes, he says, listen, I'm not your fucking, your girlfriend. I'm not your therapist. I'm not, I'm not a shoulder to cry on. I'm here to keep myself sober, show you the way. And if you do, you help another alcoholic. You do what I say and I'll help you. So I said, okay. So we started. Within six months, I met him every two weeks. Within six months, every two weeks, he took me through the steps. And within six months, I completed the steps. I did everything he said thoroughly, truthfully, honestly. I would go to meetings with him. I'd go to raise my hand in the beginning. He'd go, put your fucking hand down. Your two years didn't mean shit. No one wants to hear what you got to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's good advice, though. I'm like, what the f- this fucking guy? There was so many times I wanted to give him a fucking tight collar right. and say, are you fucking kidding me? But I know what this guy was showing me. Humbleness, shut the fuck up. You want it? That's I the would- backbone of Long Island Recovery is keep your fucking mouth shut. Yeah, you know, that's that's it. And he, you know, he, he just, I would ask him to go on a motorcycle ride. He'd say, no, I'm not your friend. As we got going. That's because he didn't want to think you could get over on him or something. I, I. I would, would have sold so. I got him a shirt one time from a Harley dealership. He said, I don't want your fucking presents, man. You want to do, you want a present? Make it through your steps and save another alcoholic. That's the kind of fucking dude he was. All the way up to the end, he taught me the meaning of, like, I was afraid to call this guy, like, if I had an urge. I had urges. Girls were calling me that I knew and all this shit. And I'll never forget this distinctively that one girl that I was smoke crack with and hang out with whatever she saw me and I was like six months in and I was you know getting healthy I was back to the gym and she saw me and this is one girl that I smoked crack with that I saw the devil in she was a good looking girl but I would see her change man, right. and morph into the fucking devil no bullshit she was just very sneaky she was an addict herself so I seen her on the road filling a pothole and she fucking tracked me down and uh, called me up. And the thought crept into my mind. And this was the first time. I don't remember what step I was on. Probably six or so. This was the first time. The first time I ever prayed to my higher power to relieve the obsession to do drugs. And it fucking worked. It fucking worked. She wanted to get high, and then you were said, like, "I have it. I'm where and you're are like, you home? God help, help me. I'm coming over. Yeah, I had sex with this girl. She was hot. You know the whole fucking nine. You know what I mean? It's uh, look look at all those trifectas. So, but how did you get out of getting high with her? I prayed, and I blocked the fucking phone. Blocked that number. Did you call, dude? 
Joe. So this is the deal. I didn't call him. I was going. I met him. It was every Thursday, every other Thursday. I think that was during the weekend. The following Thursday, I met him and I told him. Now I was afraid to call him. Remember this, okay? So now I'm still sober. So, but I had to tell him when I saw him face to face, and I'll never forget this. He said, "And what did you do?" I said, "I prayed." He said, "He looked me right in the eyes, and he's like, that's what you're supposed to do." See how the fucking steps started to make sense? Yeah. The higher power. And that's like a revelation for me of of when it works. Yeah, it's crazy. I have this I have the same Okay, same so that's thing. the distinct time that I knew this program works. That time. I then I started to realize why he told me not to to call him with problems or the your dog pisses on the floor or if you fucking stub your toe or you're having a bad day. That's not what I'm here for. It's to go to God for everything. And I only got that over like the last few years that I realized what he did. You know what I mean? Like I knew right then and there, but because it, was it beyond, sunk in. It was it, beyond the human power. But it became more, it, it, the, the deeper I am in sobriety, the more prevalent it is to me, the more clear it is to me. If that makes any sense. It does. You know? So when do you talk to other people for stuff? Like when you're struggling, when do you go to somebody else? The obsession is lifted. I mean about like an issue, relationship, fucking work, fear, whatever. Okay. Who do you talk to? I um, Now during this, these five years of sobriety, in my third year of sobriety, I, w- I started, you know, I was dating and uh, a woman clicked on me from Bumble, the dating website. And I'm like, nah, this can't be, man. This, this this is a fake. And it was from Suffering, New York. And uh, I immediately tell the, start talking to her on the phone and I tell the girl my situation. I'm a sober guy. I'm this, I'm that, you know. Did you tell her you were a knockaround guy? <laughs> I guess she figured it right out, yeah, you know, because yeah. obviously there's no hiding it. No, I told her everything. You know what? I, I, from the jump, I told her about the crack. I told her everything because I figured if this if, might as well if it's gonna work. Yeah, I'm not living any lie because at that point I'm not living no more lies. No, I get it. And this is where the wonderful of sobriety is, people. Fucking listen, listen up. This is the promise that it gives you. I was following the program truthfully and honestly. This woman came into my life. And we quickly started started date started dating. And by the second weekend that this woman came down from Suffer New York, the second weekend weekend, I knew that I was gonna marry this woman. I knew I knew that God had given me what I earned and I deserved. I I knew it. I had called my mother. She said, oh, honey, slow down. You know, I can understand. You know, I started to get my family back. She said, oh, just, you know, I want you to be happy, but slow down. I said, mom, you're going to meet her next weekend. You tell me what you think. So she, uh, she came down again. I introduced her to my parents. And we went to the diner and my mother's, we left. 
and said, don't, don't screw this up. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, I'll get It's upset. very beautiful, Gary. So, it's all real. So, within seven months, roughly, she relocated down here and moved in with me for a very short while in my apartment. Then I was with my wife now, I don't know, about seven, eight months. I said I asked her to marry me. We went to uh, Vegas to get married, and I got married by an Elvis impersonator in the original Chapel of Love. That's right, where Bon Jovi, where Bon Jovi got married, and you know, you know the one I'm talking yes, about. Yes, yes, yes. You know the 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 Ronnie the little limo driver just got married there too. Oh yeah. Yes. Now, one of the rules suggestions. On, uh, suggestions other rooms is don't get married within a year. I agree with that to to a degree, unless it's meant to be. You know, you know, to a degree. You know, if your head is right and you, and your everything is right and you're following the program, you know, because well, it doesn't say that in the book. It never. That's and I'm a big book guy. People call me a big book thumper, and it doesn't say that in the book. It doesn't say 90 and 90. It doesn't say a lot of stuff. It doesn't say a lot of things, but whatever works for you, exactly. mazel tov. God bless. Yes. Whatever it is. God gave her to me when, I don't know, when I earned it, when uh, uh, I repaired everything I did, God gave her to, her to me. Well, it gave you to each other. Gave, gave us to each other, but I... You know, the 12 steps, Dave and I are both big on this. You agree with me on this, right? I would assume that you got to follow. That is a blueprint. You know, these are my words, not Dave's words. That is a blueprint to give everybody a fucking clean slate, providing the fact that you do it truthfully and honestly and thoroughly and, thoroughly and leave out nothing. You forget something. That's a different story. Go back and make that right too. That shit pops up. It is what it is. You follow that blueprint to the T and all those promises in the book and everything in there is the truth. There is a reason why that big book has not been changed. There's a reason why it's not fucking part two, revised, nothing. That book is the reason is that written that way for a reason? And it's been out for how many years, Dave? What is it? 19... Uh, 1938. 38. So everything else in the world has changed and been revised since 1938, but not that book. And I'm living proof that you follow it. With all that demonic shit that I did, which I left out so much shit. That I can't even remember. Like my man Dave can't remember the rehabs. I don't fucking even remember some of the rehab names that I went to. But the story is still the story. But it's a real fucking story. There's no bullshit in there. I hear you. And the reason why I'm saying it like this is because I don't fucking live a lie no more. I could go anywhere in this world and be free and hold my head up high. My job loves me. My commissioner calls me on the phone when somebody has an, has an addiction or ha, has, a, has, a, has a substance problem and says, can I give them your number? These people look at me in a different light. 
That's a promise in the big book. Your job will change. Everything will change. 100%. I am fucking living proof of it. Well, I am too. And it's like, I, I don't think it's the only way, but I know when you do it, if you do it full on, like Gary just said, the results are there. People are scared of, of, of fucking 12 step. People are scared of God. People are scared of fellowship. People are scared of, people are scared, but people who actually do it get better. I, I'd say it might totally save my life. Well, fear is a part of every, most everybody's addiction. Right. Yeah, I'm yeah. just saying, I believe that people can get better doing other shit, but this shit got me better. 100%. You know? Listen, I'm all about other self-help books. Whatever whatever yeah. makes you right, whatever, it, listen. It's not the only game in town, but it worked for us. Yeah, it's not the only game in town. It worked good, though. But it, but it's pretty, uh, it's pretty true. It's totally true. You know, and I, you heard me share my whole story the other day. I, I would not have gotten close to where I'm at without it. So yeah. I just know that I know people who don't do it and they, they, they somehow get sober. So getting sober, but are they happy? And if, you know, some, you, some are, so you, 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 but how many people do we know here that aren't, you know right. what I mean? You know what, Dave, you're a hundred, you're a hundred percent right. You know, and there could be debates, but that's not what this program is about. It's, what works for whoever. It's about us putting in our work so is. we can be free and happy and helpful and, and that, loving. That's it, man, because that's what brings you happiness. That's what brings you peace. You know, respect. You know, I, I'm i not liked by everybody on my, my job. I'm liked by a lot of people. But the one thing I'm definitely in, I'm respected by all on my job. Because you they have may, integrity. They may not like me. But they who doesn't? Who doesn't like you? But Gary. they respect me. Give me. I can't yeah. even believe it. My ex-wife. 100%. Well, besides her. Yeah. Besides her. Yeah. But, but uh, Gary, I appreciate you, man. You uh, fucking dropped the bombs, and uh, and I'm glad you, we did this. Wow, man. I really. Uh, it's a lot longer than I thought. I'm sorry that I took up so much of your time, brother. It was amazing. And 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 uh, listen, not many people get as. First of all, robbing. How many drug dealers do you think you robbed? <sighs> man. Several. I, I would say it's probably close into the teens, you know what I mean? And always just with the with the glass jaw blow? Oh um, the well placed sock to the to the jaw? No, there was a few choke outs in there too, you know. I have a little experience with <laughs> And you've never encountered anyone again out here. You know That's I, miraculous. That's lucky. I'm gonna knock on my, I'm that's gonna, that's knock fucking on my lucky. You know, I mean, they may see me, but I You're older now. They won't I, recognize you. I, I, Did I you don't, have a long goatee then? No, I didn't. All right, good. No, so I they're didn't. not going to recognize you. No, I you. didn't. You know, <laughs> I just don't look or put myself in those uh, situations. You know what I mean? You know, if you if you want to do drugs, we all know you could go to any fucking state in the world. You could find what you're going to look for. 100%. And I, I want to say this also, that the emotion you showed is very beautiful. And as down as you got, it's opposite now. And when I saw you and your wife, it was so clear. So, like... I'm very, very happy for you, and I really do appreciate you taking the time. Brother, you know you know, you're one of the reasons why I stayed here. You know, you you really are. Well, we have you, a good thing over you here. You fucking, Dave and I like to laugh. There's nothing, we didn't get sober not to laugh. Not to have a good time. Not that, to have abso- a good absolutely. time. Absolutely. You know, and I'm a big believer in, you know, you, we've all been to hell. To me, this is heaven, and heaven's about being happy, you know? Totally. You know? Thank you, Gary. Rock on, man.
right, that was Gary. And uh, in the preamble of the show, I, I say Gary very well could be a Long Island fucko. But what a beautiful guy. He weeps on the show. And, and another beautiful guy who's coming on the show is my dad. <laughs> Welcome back. Hi, everybody. You want me to weep? Is that, is that the stuff no, no, I'm supposed no, to no. do? I want to know, first of all. Yes. Everyone, I, I, I know you want to talk about your recovery and your hip and what's going on with you. Do, so why don't you update the Dopey Nation with your health? Well, I, I'm feeling pretty optimistic. I don't want to. I don't want to, you know, jinx myself. But I'm walking much, much better, and um, and so far so good. I'm pretty, pretty happy so far. Do you want to thank the Dopey Nation for their thoughts and prayers? Of course, <laughs> of course I do. Now let me ask you a question, Dad. You're obviously an older, older man. Uh, when you hear the phrase "Long Island fucko," what does that does that mean anything to you? Oh, well, the fucko certainly sounds like it's pretty negative. Right. It does sound negative. But what, is that, what does the connotation mean to you? Does it mean anything to you? Well, it's, it's trying to make some kind of representation that being on Long Island may be, a, may be part of the end part being fucko. Does Long Island have anything to do with it? So you have no... You have no of course you, not. You, I, never you, heard, I never heard that expression ever before you just said it. Okay. Well... So you're feeling okay. Well, this has been a great appearance, Dad. Yeah, that's it. We're finished. Do you have anything that you want to add to the show? Uh, you have, well, first of all, let's start with the usual. What criticism do you have of late? Um, I'm happy to say I don't have any criticism whatsoever. That's not true. We Actually, had a long talk. Uh, well, that, well, I did have the criticism with uh, with the uh, the cop guy, the, uh, Michael Dowd, where he called my dad calls me and he's like, David. Yes. Just so you know. Yeah. Nobody knows what this guy is talking about. <laughs> right. Right. Like you start off, uh, I'm, I'm sitting at the commission. And, and what commission? I mean, you didn't give any preface oh of what God. the heck was going on. And we're supposed to figure out who the, uh, yeah, he's a corrupt cop. Okay. Who probably still has problems. And and you wonder why I, I blame you on oh, hearing the phones. Here's the cascade maybe, of rings. Maybe it's Seymour. <laughs> you know what it is. It, it's it's a it's a scam. Somebody trying to get you to give them your bank account number. We'll find out who it is. Hello. It's a scam. Well, yeah. Was it Seymour or a scam? No, no. It's somebody who wants to speak to me, which means that it's nobody I know. <laughs> <laughs> now, anyway, so so let's get back to you criticizing my interviewing. I, well, it's just, it's, look, you. how do you assume that the Dopey Nation knows anything about this guy unless you give some information up front first? It's like... I mean, it's really good criticism. Imagine I'm glad having, you brought it up that having, I should have come up with criticism. Having this voice in your head for a lifetime. <laughs> It's just, it's great. It's fantastic. Oh so what, what else you got, Dad? Um, How, how's, not, how's your fantasy team doing? Oh, it's about time that Harden actually showed up and figured out how to play. So that one, I got one good game out of him so far. So the bilking of your grandson is finally, it's finally pay, paying, paying dividends. <laughs> it's finally paying off. It's finally, yeah, one game, one game. Anyway, I'm holding on to third place by the skin of my teeth. But there's still hope for the future. There's still hope. Now, of course, you want to announce where you are? I'm in my childhood bedroom. <laughs> no. Fifth place, maybe. Uh, heading close to fourth and third. 
It's amazing. You're in there. He 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 wants to tell me about the players on his team, and I say. I don't care. And he says, yes, you do. But honestly, I don't. I don't even know what place I am. But I'm going to make a bold prediction. Uh-oh. In the next five days, I will be in third place. Really? That's my prediction. You have... That's just, it. That's, that's it? it. Okay. Hero's getting oh. healthy. And I, I, I don't want to make I'll you... I'll trade up, you for Hero. I don't want to make you upset. I'll give you Barrett for Hero. I want, I want you to know the level of my not... Caring, yeah, it's high. It's so high that I forgot to make substitutions for the past two weeks. That's no, which is why look for a big comeback because I decided it's time to get serious. Oh, good, all right, excellent. No, I thought the Bob Forrest uh, interview was good. I mean, you like Bob? I, I, well, it was a lot of laughing, which is really good, though. I mean, uh, you didn't think he was funny. You just thought there was laughing. Well, it was. I remember years ago, and this is this is you know we're into the. You know, two hours and twenty minutes. So we've chased out all the suckers. Nobody, nobody's listening anymore. <laughs> oh, good. But I remember years I mean, ago, no, not good. I was waiting tables at Katz's, and uh, and you were doing puzzles for your depression. You would do the <laughs> thousand piece puzzles. It was COVID. I was doing them. No, it was not. It was pre. It was depression period puzzling. I, I, well, it was a de- depression puzzling period. And I came home and I did a an interview with uh, with Bob Forrest that was really long. And we sat there listening to him, and you were like, "This is just too long. <laughs> yeah, this probably. is this, this is just too long." Um, so it was funny. I, I, you don't remember that? It was a, it was one of your weird. It was you. You don't remember? You used to stand over that table and do puzzles. Yeah, no, no, I, I did, but certainly at COVID, it, it was like no, it was real the, it was the pre-COVID depression era. Well, whereas my 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 friend Pamela was into into puzzles, and I, maybe she visited, and I had it out there for her. But once you put it out there, it becomes. I love a, puzzles. Addictive. I mean, you can't walk past it without trying to put find a piece to go in there. I wish I had more time for puzzles. It takes way too much time. It takes way too much time. Yeah. We we had a great puzzle going for a little while. Linda Linda wants me to put a new puzzle out. I can give. I I have to give you. Yeah, I, a good puzzle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a good puzzle to give you. All right, this has been really fascinating. Well, well, that's it. We're finished. I think that's it. <laughs> you want You want to hear? Um, you want to hear the the new review? Sure, you're going to read it, right? He says, great show. I look forward to listening to your podcast. I miss Ray, but Ray's been back. I enjoyed the Ray appearance on the show. I was actually going to I was going to see Ray this morning, but I decided I needed to finish the show. Well, did he ever go to Mexico, or what happened with that? No, he. Uh, we reveal it on the Patreon bonus episode with Handsome Evan. Ray, and, and this is me outing him again without him here to tell his side of the story. Well, had try a to panic, be He had a panic attack, and yeah. he couldn't get on. You knew this. Well, you told me. So why are you asking on the show if you well, know how this? how is he? I mean, he's I, fine. He's, gonna, he's, take, he's about to embark on a 17-day cruise to Mexico. Oh, so that's how he's going to get there. That's how he's going to get there, by boat. Anyway, I look forward to listening to your podcast. I miss Ray. I like hearing Mr. Manheim read the one-star review. Yeah, that's not happening. You don't want to read it? Oh, come on. Just I, for how about for Christmas? We're talk, it's like for a, Christmas? It's like a Christmas prayer. No. It's, it's, no? It's beyond, no, it's not, not readable. He says, hint, hint, I want some socks, and that is Fat Member. Thank you, Fat Member. And then there's another one, Cat Marnell, question mark? Not sure who she is, but we'll check out. However, she is obviously high. Somehow, like a very few of your guests, does not seem truthful. 
Once in a while, I hear guests that clearly are not really dope fiends, but just trying to find a platform. Listen, I think Kat Marnell is one of the greatest dopey guests in the history of the show. I thought she was terrific. I don't know why. I don't understand what happened unless she's not well, that that, that things fell apart. Well, she there was a huge feud, and, and she still... she Recently, she texted me. Uh, there was a whole thing, and I reached out to her, and she said I was a big creep. So I'm leaving Kat Marnell alone. Oh, good. But when anyone asks me for a book recommendation, the first one I mention is Kat Marnell Had to Murder Your Life. Because it's a great book. Well, no. I, well, she was terrific here as a guest as far as I remember. So, Dad, do you feel like you're not on the show as often as you'd like? No, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly happy. Do you feel like you're on the show enough? Yeah, it's, it's fine. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I do have another criticism. Yes. You just asked me about 10 minutes ago, maybe I'm exaggerating, to, you know, to, is there anything else you want to say? And I say, have a happy new year and toodles for Chris. And then you keep going on afterwards. Like, well, you, I just because I asked you what you wanted to say, I didn't mean that I was done talking. <laughs> I mean, it, it never ends when you say you're ending. You keep going. My love of life is so... <laughs> Intense that I want to squeeze every Profound. every last drop out of the conversation. Yeah, that's for sure. Yes, you do that. Right, you do that. So, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you did doing? You, did you take that stuff out? Oh my God! It's like we're recording, and he tries <laughs> to act like he's holding a microphone. I, he's trying to walk, talk around the microphone. Yeah, I, t- I I said some inflammatory comments about my dad's friend. Um, the truth is that uh, my dad has a relationship in his life with a woman named Ginny, who I love. I think Ginny is the best. She's made our quality of life much better. And I say our, meaning yours and mine, Dad. No more depression puzzles. <laughs> the puzzles haven't gotten off the terrace in, in a long time. Uh, she made sure that I didn't have to take care of you in your recovery, which was great. And she, she's a great cook. But uh, she is very critical of me being critical of you on the show. That's very nice. <laughs> and I think that she does play a part in you being on the show less because she felt the need to ride like a knight on a white horse to your damsel in distress. Yeah, well, I, I think you can you can come through with, with, with more bad things to say about me. I'm sure I'm sure I can. <laughs> But thank you, Dad. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add before we no, go? No, is this is this my the real ending? Stay, Maybe stay strong, Dopey Nation. And again, toodles for Chris. And no happy holidays. Oh, I already and happy holidays and have a happy New Year and, and stay well. A blessed New Year. Would you say a blessed New Year? No, I wouldn't say. Would that. say blessed? I wouldn't say that. Neither blessed nor blessed. Uh, no. Just a new year. It's, yeah. No, a very happy and healthy new year. All right. Thank you, Dad. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles. Oh, Dad. It's more. Before we go. Yeah. I don't know how often you're checking uh, Dopey Patreon. Yeah. No, I do. But last week, my friend Justin, one of the board of directors of the Dopey Foundation, right. discovered a cassette tape with the first version of Good So Bad Ever recorded? Wow, it's historical. Historic. <laughs> yes. What's the? How do you say historical versus historic? Same. same, same either way. So you it's historical. Read. That doesn't sound like a it's way. historic. Would be better. It's yeah. a historic recording. So Correct. we're gonna close. What have you Not heard? Historical. This one? Historical. Have you heard this one? 
The original? Yes. I I might have heard a little bit. You said you changed the it was different words than Oh, you didn't you didn't have a call my dad in it. So you did listen to it. I heard you say that. I don't know if I heard the actual recording though. You read it on Patreon. Something like yes. that. Yes. Um what's your favorite good so bad version of all the good so bad versions? I know you're oh. a connoisseur of dopey music on the show. Well, the, the the group at the end of DopeyCon 3 when it was on DopeyCon 2 d- during COVID when everybody did it, that was super. That's your favorite one. That's one of my favorite. I like the slow one where uh um, but, but, but did you say that the the man who just died, Mike Mart, that was a beautiful one. Yeah, that might be the the one of the best ones. Yeah. And and the banjo guy is terrific. And uh, and we haven't heard from him. I mean, certainly I, mean, I hear from him. But is I'm he, surprised you're not talking to him regularly. When, when's the last time you spoke to Jake from West Virginia? Uh, never. We haven't heard from him. Like you've ever spoken. <laughs> I to mean, him. you're talking. Anyway, no, he didn't come up with new music or. Uh, any? He did the the good so bad, and he did the. The tune on into the Dopey Show song. Oh, nice! Which is a great song. Yeah. So and and so my version, my acoustic version of Good So Bad is not rated on your favorite Good So Bad. Oh, remember, well, your the one that you yes. played at the one that you played at DopeyCon one was terrific. No, the song that we close every show with for yeah, years. It's, it's terrific. It's you, wonderful. You, you don't it's, rank it's it. It's way up there. You put it below <laughs> it's, all the others. It's and way. Where do you put that one in comparison to Ray Brown's piano version? Oh, his is good too. <laughs> yeah, you're way low down on the list. I'm, I'm down on the list. You wonder why I was a heroin addict for so long. Thank you, Dad. Here's the original Good So Bad. And I have to say this the original Good So Bad, it's like, uh, it's having like an ugly child. Uh, I love it, but nobody else, I, and my children are beautiful, but I love this song. No one else could possibly really like this version. Uh, one more Stay Strong, Dopey Nation, fucking toodles for Chris. I wanna be good so bad, so bad.